Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Stephen Matz came out of the game the other night. Uh, he felt something in his lat, and unfortunately, he's going to have to be shut down. So he's being placed on the IL today, and we'll make a corresponding move uh, tomorrow. That was John Mosaloc yesterday speaking with the media down at Bush Stadium. We mentioned on the show before we were concluding yesterday that Mo would be talking to the media, and that was the news that he had to announce. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Steven Matz heading to the injured list, and it sounds like he will not pitch again for the Cardinals this season. If that does indeed end up being the case, he does so, I suppose, on a high note. You and your last seven appearances... Saw him throw 39 innings, had a 1.9 ERA. Opposing hitters were batting just 190 against him. Basically, since his return to the rotation, man, he's been awesome for the St. Louis Cardinals. But this is where things get interesting. This is the same issue that we've seen with Steven Matz at times in the past. For whatever reason, he just can't seem to stay healthy here in St. Louis. He has started 17 games this year. He started 10 games a year ago for the Cardinals, had five to 10 appearances out of the bullpen each year as well. Alex, when I think about what this means for the Cardinals, it's not really a whole lot of interest for me down the stretch. We'll talk about who's going to take his spot. It's more about what it means for your planning of 2024. Yesterday, Mo said we got to get three, not two starters, but three starters this offseason. I think the lack of faith in Steven Matz's health is a part of that conversation. It should be part of that conversation because if it's not the lack of health or lack of availability for this team, it's the lack of quality innings at the beginning of the season. So what we thought when he was dealing post-trade deadline that we were like, man, Steven Matz is really solidifying himself into a rotation. I think the uncertainty with his with his pitching and with his availability pushes him into the same conversation as a Libertor and a Dakota Hudson and all these other guys is you can fight for a spot out of camp to be in this rotation, but now you're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to be aggressive in terms of bringing in three different guys to place in there with miles Michaelis and have that number five spot open. And I don't think it's obviously Steven Matz is going to be ahead of everybody else for how he pitched, but he can't be relied upon to, be somebody who gives you 120 150 innings so yeah now i think you have to shop in that second tier and that third tier and maybe in twice in that third tier and the fourth tier maybe not the bargain just one of those just one i'm fine with them signing one of those guys your guy james paxton if you want to sign him to a one-year 12 million dollar deal i think he's gonna get more than that but somebody in that range i got no issues with that 
The problem is if you end up getting like three of them. If you say we have to go for quantity over quality, that's where I start getting frustrated. But the idea of getting a number four starter that's out there on the open market, the equivalent of help trading for Jose Quintana this offseason and getting him on a bargain bin deal because you gave them a decent prospect because they ate some of the money on the contract for next year. I would honestly have zero problem with that whatsoever to solidify this rotation going into next year and to give yourself some more options. Because you got to get somebody who can eat innings. Miles Michaelis can't be the only one that eats innings right now, and then you got to get the swing and miss stuff. And I think Matt just becomes a piece of the depth now moving forward and who, i expect him to start next year yeah i think you go the plan is for steven matz to be a starter for you on in opening day 2024 he should be a part of your plans for your rotation but if he's not if he ends up going on the injured list to start out the season your backup plan shouldn't be jordan hicks becoming an experimental starter it should not be andre palante getting thrown into starting opportunities it should should not be Oh boy, Zach Thompson, we had counted upon to be a bullpen arm for us. And now we're lighting the bullpen because we got to pull him into our rotation. Go get somebody that can really solidify that spot in a worst case scenario, break glass in case of emergency. If either Matt's or somebody else goes down with injury, because it's going to happen at some point next year. And and now that even though like Matthew Lotor has looked good in his last outing, we'll see what he looks like against the A's and Hudson's looked good in his uh, return to the major leagues. And Thompson, we'll see what the jury is out on him. And you've got uh, Roby that's in the minor leagues. And who's the other, who's the Rom? Rom is the other one I'm thinking of. Like those guys, even if Libertor pitches well now, he's a depth guy for next year. They should go into next season with five guys written in pen on five major league contracts that are into this rotation. Not anybody that's got options, five major league deals because they need to have those five quality starters because there's question marks with one of those guys that they have under contract right now in Mats. If Mats did not have any injury concerns in the first two years of his deal, I could see where you could go in the offseason and go, you know what, we can go in with a fifth starter competition between Libertor Hudson, Thompson, and throw in any other minor league name you want, and then go get two other starters. But because you have these injury concerns, you can't have that snowball effect if he were to go down and force multiple of those guys into the rotation. I think they need to add three starters. I think that's part of the reason why is because of what you guys Matthew, said, the Mets injury. Matthew Libertor has options for next year. Yeah. I mean, the, the expectation is probably that Matthew Libertor opens up the season as your game one starter for the Memphis Redbirds next year. That should be how you construct your your rotation. And if he ends up being called upon either in season or by opening day, fine. You like what you see, hopefully, from him down the stretch, and he's a capable starter in a in a pinch. But the hope should be, the belief should be that he is passed over by some of these options that you're bringing in from the outside. Yeah, I think the recipe for success in terms of an offseason is Matt's as a number five and having three guys that could be a number five for you all starting in Memphis to start the year off. And then beyond that, you're talking about Roby, depending on what his development is. You're talking about McGreevy and Graceffo still wondering what these guys are. That's what the winning teams do is they put the fu- they put four or five guys in triple A that could be a four or five in their rotation this season, but they call upon them when injuries take place. But if you go into the season with Matt's as four and now this depth is number five, you're setting yourself up for failure because Matt's goes. You really, I mean, as great as Michaelis has been the last couple of years, you're still a little worried as he continues to get older. And then depending on who you sign, you're probably planning on one of those guys not being available all season. And they should have quality depth in the minor leagues going into next year. I mean, you mentioned two guys we hadn't even said yet. McGreevy, Graceffo, Roby, who's going to start throwing and potentially go on a rehab assignment, it sounds like, here in the near future to uh, Palm Beach. And you've got Thompson, Libertor, and... Uh, 
Hudson potentially if you decide to tender him. There's five starters in the minor leagues. And if one guy goes down, say Matt's in this example, and you've signed three starting pitchers, you can bring one up. He doesn't work. You just recycle throw. And you just recycle throw him until you see one that sticks. And then when your pitcher comes off the IL, boom, he slots right back into his spot. So, like, to your point, they are in a position where they should have quality depth in the minor leagues, unlike they did this year coming into the season where they have injuries galore and the 40-man roster is just destroyed. Not next year. Next year, they have the depth in the minor leagues. They just got to go out there and get the major league pitching. Look at the Dodgers. The Dodgers rotation was not great coming into the season, but it was pretty decent. Kershaw, Gonsolin, Urias, Bueller, May. Those are five guys coming into the year that had real injury questions. You had some depth issues there, but you knew if those guys stay healthy, man, that's a damn good rotation. The upside is excellent. I mean, you go into a playoff series with Kershaw, Urias, Bueller, and May. Whew, good luck against that, that quad uh, group of starters. But most of them got hurt. And so what they had to do was dip into their prospect pool. And they had Miller. And they had Sheehan. And they had, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Peepoy? P-E-P-I-O-T? Sure. Yeah. Stone is another guy that they have down in the minors. Those guys are all like fringe top 100 prospects or better. And they all have spent the vast majority of the season down in AAA for the LA Dodgers. You look at their ages, 25, 26, 24 years old. 27 years old you look at some of the ages of the cardinals prospects they're much younger than that so the idea of them staying down in the minors and continuing to develop a little bit is not inherently a bad thing it's okay to give these guys some time while they continue developing pitching takes time and next year if you have to dip into it fine but the overall hope should be that you don't have to go to that early in the season before any of those injuries hit and this is where we get to john mosaloc's quote from yesterday Mo said all of the right things to the media. When asked about what their plans are this offseason, he said the following, quote, realistically, we know we have to add three starters. We know we have to add depth. We went into the season thinking that we would have that depth covered. It obviously did not work out that way. Having a repeat of this would not be in the best interest of the franchise so I think our approach this offseason is going to be very aggressive on the pitching side. We'll see where that ends up taking us. Attaboy, Mo. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of Cardinals fans, and I get it, saw that quote or heard that quote and rolled their eyes. Said, I've heard all this before. Big talk, no action. I don't want to hear it. That's all he can do right now. All John Mosellock can do is come out and say the right things. And yesterday he said the right stuff. They should go out and get three starters this offseason. But the number, although something we're going to hold them to now, they've said this publicly. John Mosellock is the face of the franchise, the face of the decision-making process in the offseason. Right, he has now out of publicly stated. The same way that the salary increased. We are going to go out and get three starters this offseason. Not two, not one, three. So that is the expectation. But the other thing that we now need to figure out, and this will be the goal for the offseason, is what's the quality of those starters? Are you bringing in somebody that is the equivalent of Dakota Hudson as that third guy? I was just going to say, you guys Are ready? you bringing in a DFA candidate as that third starter? Or are you talking about bringing in three guys, like T-Bone mentioned earlier, that are on major league contracts with real guaranteed money that are expected the moment that you sign them to be a part of the top five in your rotation going into next season. That's the real question that still has yet to be determined. And the other follow-up to that is, what's that number one guy look like? 
I'm less concerned right now about two and three on that list. Who's the number one guy that's going to lead your rotation next year? Because right now you don't have that player internally. He does not exist here. You ready for the spin rate? One of those guys was Dakota Hudson because we didn't plan on him being in our 2024 plans. And well, he surprised us at the end of the season. I mean, he said specifically, we know we have to add three starters this offseason. So if they do that with Dakota Hudson, he just flat out lied. I'll uh, I'll give him credit, though, because in the past, people will say, oh, he does this all the time. He keeps it pretty generic, typically, where it's like, yeah, we're going to have to explore the free agency in the offseason and see what's out there for us. And I mean, he's now stating that, hey, we got to get three guys. So I'll give him credit there. Like, that's that's par for the or that's that's different for John Moselak than what he's typically done in the past. The question is what you asked BK and it's what I'm very skeptical of. What do you do with those three starting pitchers? Because if we shop, if we snorkel in tier four for three guys, that's not benefiting you. I heard the morning show talking about Miles Michaelis as your number one next no. year. To me, that is a that is an ultimate <laughs> fail if that team says, well, we got three guys and Michaelis will lead them this upcoming season. Yeah, yeah. and to that point, I, I this is where they cannot run into this issue, and I think it's, uh, this is the concern that Cardinals fans should have. I don't doubt they're going to add three pitchers. The concern is is that the budget's going to be written in pen, and it's not going to budge. And when the market moves and surpasses what the budget is going to be, that's where they pivot and do what you just said. Of Well, you know, we thought we could get a top-tier starter. Then it became too pricey, and it wasn't going to fit the budget. The budget needs to be written in pencil this year. Now, I'm not saying you spend like the Mets did. But a top 10 payroll is probably what you're going to need to get the three starters that you need. And you're probably going to have to shop in two of the two, get two guys out of those top tiers Mm -hmm. and then settle for that bottom tier. That's my biggest concern. One in tier two, one in tier three, and one in tier four. That needs to be your offseason. Start at tier two. For those that don't know, the tier rankings, I've got them written down. We're going to have this next to us every day of every show all all offseason. Otani is at the top. Tier one. All right, we'll we crossed guy. him off. Oh. <laughs> he, is, he is not an option until proven otherwise, and we don't expect that to change. Tier two, Alex said you got to get one of these three. Snell, Urias, Nola. End of list. You either have to get somebody from that tier or the equivalent on the trade market. That is what the starting point has to be for the Cardinals this offseason. Tier three, Yamamoto, Gray, Stroman, Flaherty, Rodriguez, Montgomery, Giolito. You got to get at least one of those guys or the equivalent of somebody from the trade market. And then you can go down to tier four. That's Paxton, Maeda, Severino. If you want to shop in that market or get somebody on the trade market that's the equivalent to them, that's fine too. But you should be operating in those three buckets. Get one from each of them, and then let's ride into the season and see what ends up happening from there. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up next, so... You heard in that quote coming back from break that John Mosellock said the Cardinals are going to make a corresponding move today for the pitcher they're going to bring up as Steven Matz is placed on the injured list. Anybody got any ideas of who that could be? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Done all the legwork on this. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line to get involved in the show. If you guys have any recommendations. Yesterday, John Mosellock said that the Cardinals are going to be planning to call up somebody today as Steven Matz's place on the injured list. Now, I'm not totally sure as to why they waited until today to do so, because yesterday they basically played two men down, but 
whatever. Neither here nor there at this point in the season. I'm not going to come up here and complain about a guy arriving a day late, whatever. But they need a pitcher. They need somebody to be added to this staff going into today's game. And the plan is to call somebody up. I just have no idea who that man is going to be. As I look at the current options that could come up from the minor leagues, they're not particularly appealing. Alex, I'm not going to lie to you. Kyle Leahy, we saw him, and I immediately called for his dismissal from the roster. (laughs) Didn't go particularly well. He's one guy that's on the 40-man roster that is currently pitching in the minors. Drew Rahm is another. He's a guy that the Cardinals acquired from the Baltimore Orioles at the trade deadline, but he's a starting pitcher, and you don't really have a slot in your rotation right now because Zach Thompson is the one they're planning to take Steven Matz's spot in the rotation. So I would be surprised if it's him. I don't think he's going to come out of your pen the rest of the way. Connor Thomas is somebody, but he's really struggled down in the minor leagues. And Guillermo Zuniga is the other that is currently on the 40-man roster that is in the minor leagues, and he has struggled mightily. I like him. He's got really good stuff. He's been striking everybody out, but he has an OPS over 1,100 in his last 10 appearances down in the minors. That's it. Those That's your entire list of 40-man rosterable players that are pitching down in AAA right now. Alex, who are they going to call up? What are they doing with this roster spot that is now available? Uh, I, to I them? mean, uh, let's start with Drew Ma- Drew Rum. I would just cross his name off because, frankly, you just got him in a trade, and I think they would want to just let him kind of go through the rotation a few times before you bring him up. Uh, Kyle Leahy, I'm kind of with you. I think we should be done with that experiment here. For me, the two guys you should be calling up is Connor Thomas and Guillermo Zuniga, and I understand that both have been getting lit up in AAA. But the reason you're going to bring them up is because can we please figure out who they are so that we can get them off the 40-man roster? Because if you're not going to make 40-man roster moves and bring up McGreevy or Graceffo to see what they've got because there's not room on your 40-man roster, well, then make room. And to make room, if you're going to sit there and say, well, we don't know what Connor Thomas is at the big leagues and Guillermo Zuniga we only saw a little bit of, great, bring them both up. Let them both pitch for the rest of the season so that at the end of the season or even in a week when they get lit up at the major league level, you can say, "Okay, figured it out. Let's move forward. But I would start cleaning this 40 man roster out. And to do that, let's get rid of all of the quote unquote question marks that this team has for certain pitchers. Can I give you a tinfoil? I don't think it's anybody that's on the 40 man roster right now that they're calling up. I think they've got a waiver claim somewhere that they're hoping is going to go through that they can bring up today or have today on the roster. Well, that would be bad well, because somebody, that doesn't answer my questions. Is there somebody that's available? I, you see? I don't know. I I don't know, but I, it's just my theory. Because otherwise, like even if you're calling up a Zuniga or say you were going to call up a McGreevy and select his contract to the 40-man, there's no reason to wait a day. There, there's nothing like the timeline for the rookie eligibility. That's We know when that date is. It's not tomorrow. Like I, I think there's a waiver claim for somebody that's out there well, that I don't know about that guy, Fangress, DFA. The only DFA that is still pending is Michael Givens. It I mean, might be him. Yeah, I, I could seriously see it being him. And he was a guy that I had interest in two years ago at the deadline. He really struggled, got DFA. I could. See, he's a veteran. Bring him into the bullpen, right-hander. He he might be a waiver claim. And, and I think that's why you wait a day because if that goes through. Okay, well then you just put them on the roster, you make a roster move today, and you just wait because you don't. Then you don't call somebody up and then immediately send them back down and waste the 15 day period that they've got to remain in the minors. I would bet Michael Givens is the guy that they are acquiring today. The text line thinks they're going to sign Madison Bumgarner, bring him out of retirement. Okay, I don't know what that does for you, but we need innings. <laughs> I gives you grit, BK. I think this speaks sure. to Grit-nades. where they're at right now as an organization, like. 
you look at this 40-man roster, and I, I've mentioned this before, and it just continues to be made more true by the day. I don't want to hear anybody complaining about 40-man spots the rest of the way. I heard Klaibs earlier today on the morning show, Alex. They asked him about some of the young pitching and Mason Wynn as to why those guys aren't here. He said, well, you got a clear 40-man spot for him. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Should we go through this real quick? Oh, cue the purge sirens, T-Bone. A, a few of the guys that if you really wanted to make a roster, roster spot, and I'm saying if you were in a big pinch, you could maybe talk yourself into I'd say you're clearing some of these available. Kyle Leahy, James Nail, Wilking Rodriguez, Andrew Suarez, Connor Thomas, Jake Woodford, Guillermo Zuniga, Jose Fermin, Taylor Motter, Richie Palacios, Moises Gomez, Juan Yepes. I'm not saying you should DFA all of those guys, but from that list of, I think that's 13 players, could you find one, two, or three spots? Yeah, I, I think you could probably find a few that are available for you but we haven't if you seen, really needed but it. But we haven't seen Connor Thomas, and we were relying on Wilking Rodriguez this season. James and we don't Nail want to lose has him. been up and down all year long. Andrew Suarez is a guy that you just added via waivers, what, three weeks ago? He's appeared in three different games, has been mostly not very good in any of the three Connor Thomas has been on the roster all season long, but has never really been given a legitimate opportunity here. Do you have any plans for him at the big league level? If the answer is no, at some point you have to come to terms with that. Kyle Lee, he doesn't have a big league future here in St. Louis. Let's just be honest about it, right? It's kind of how I feel. About, remember last year, who was it? The kid that they just hung on to, hung on to, and then this year they DFA'd him. James Nail? No. Oh. Uh, the <laughs> big arm birthday? that they had. He he was hurt. I don't remember what his name was, but um, it was Rondo? a right-handed reliever. Angel Rondo? No, doesn't matter. Junior Fernandez? They had another guy like that last year. The fact is you could say seven of them, and they all kind of fit to the criteria that I'm talking about. <laughs> That's the issue. Guy. I don't know what they do today. They they don't really have reliever arms. And when they got all these guys, the deadline, the pitching options, they were talking about how they, they filled their depth in the minor leagues. One thing they really need to do this offseason is do the same thing on the relief side of things. Go out there and sign like seven different players to minor league um, contracts that are just bullpen arms. Guys like Michael Givens that were previously pretty good in their career, take a chance on seven of them and see if two of them end up working out for you and can be added to your 40-man roster at some point during the season. That's the type of thing that the Cardinals do not have right now in terms of the depth that they are absolutely going to need next year if they're going to be a contending team again. Can I ask you guys a question? And I'm honestly, I don't know the answer. If it's a 60-day IL, it doesn't count against your 40-man roster. 10-day IL does. Correct. 15-day, same thing. Why is Brennan Donovan on the 10-day IL? That's probably what they could be claiming somebody today and pushing him to the 60. They could be, but it it doesn't matter. I was going to I I think they've still got spots available. Yeah, I think there's only like 37 guys on their 40-man roster right now, but I was just confused by that because, like, that. Sometimes they don't want to add guys to the 40-man roster because in the offseason, you're going to have to clear that off, and then eventually you'll have to place those guys through waivers. So, like... If they, for example, weren't going to bring up Michael McGreevy this season, I don't know if they are or aren't, but if they didn't plan to do so, they could just have him protected all offseason instead of having to put him on the 40-man roster. And then in the offseason, if you sign somebody that takes his spot, you'd have to DFA him, place him through waivers, and somebody else could claim Michael McGreevy. So that's why you wouldn't do what you're talking about, um, because they don't like need a spot right okay. now. They're was- not... 
grasping at straws for other pieces to I was just going through it and I looked at it and I'm like why is he on a 10 day IL to where that would open up but again you only got 37 guys in your 40 man roster so using the 40 man roster excuse isn't an excuse anymore and then on top of the 13 guys that we just named yeah so you guys think they're if you had a guess best guess on who they call up today mine would be Zuniga I would go the waiver claim of Givens is the guy I, I otherwise I don't understand why you don't make the move yesterday. don't they need two moves no, they just need, unless they're putting Contreras on the aisle. Oh, okay. Just the one is what they yeah. need to make today. If they put Contreras or Gorman on the aisle, they'd have to make another one. Well, move. we know they won't put Gorman on the aisle. They'll just let him go through. I think it'll be Zuniga, and I will be very curious to hear the explanation as to why he wasn't called up yesterday. It, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. But it, it's just kind of strange. They were off yesterday down in Memphis. So yeah. maybe there was something travel-wise where it didn't work out for him to be able to get here by yesterday's game. I I don't know. But again, the, the, thing, the thing for me that makes me think it's a waiver claim is even if that's the case, you make the roster move yesterday. Yeah, you don't it, have you weird. don't have to wait. It's so super weird. I'm gonna guess it's a waiver claim, and I hope my tinfoil proves right. <laughs> Coming up next, yesterday was a massive day for my University of Missouri Tigers. What does it mean in the big picture after they picked up one of the top players in the country? What does this mean for Eli Drinkwitz? Was Gabe Diarmid of Power Mizzou next year on 101 ESPN? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Massive recruitment story for us to be talking with Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com in mid-August about a Mizzou football commit. But that's what took place yesterday. Williams Winnery, if you're not familiar with the name, he's a five-star kid, a top five player in the country out of the Kansas City area, defensive end. He was considering Georgia, Oklahoma, and Missouri. And yesterday, he decided that he's going to take his talents to the University of Columbia next year. Gabe DeArman joins us now to break it all down via the 101 ESPN hotline. Gabe, we appreciate the time as always, my man. What did yesterday mean for the University of Missouri when it came to that five-star commitment? Well, I mean, it was, was televised on ESPN. I only know of two other commitments, I think, that, that have that's happened with Mizzou, uh, DGB, and, and I think Terry Beckner's might have been on ESPN too. So that's a, that's a pretty big deal, um, as much as I would like to pretend that more people are you know tuning in to Power Mizzou to follow it. I assume College Football Live probably has a little better audience considering it's still on the air. So that's big, um, you know, and just this is a class. It, it, I had written yesterday morning, like, 
all of a sudden, Williams Winery seemed like a guy they almost had to get because the first half of this class, it, it started off really slow. They only had a couple guys entering June. Uh, they were 61st in the team rankings going into yesterday, which you can't survive in the SEC like that. You know, it's obviously going to have to get up into the top 25 or 30 to, to really even have a chance in this conference. So it had almost become a thing where if you don't get him, where are the difference makers going to be in this class? But now that they've gotten him, look, things seem to be going well with Ryan Wingo. By no means is that done, but that could be two five stars in the class for the first time ever. And if that happens, then you start to wonder if there is a little bit of a a tidal wave effect on some of these other guys. I mean, there was a time where we were going, the top 10 guys in the state might all go somewhere else for the first time in the rivals era. And now all of a sudden they've got number one. They're in pretty good shape with number two. And so that makes you start to think, what's that mean for guys three through 10? You know, could they circle back with, with a guy like Jeremiah McClellan down the road or with Andrew Sprague, who's gone to, who is committed to Michigan and just say, Hey, you know, do you, do you maybe want to take another look here? Cause we've got the two best players in the state and, Oh, by the way, I don't know if you've heard, we've got this thing where we can start paying you money. pretty soon. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of a deal. So Gabe, with, with this commit taking place and, you know, I don't know if he was considered to be on the hot seat with Drinkwitz, but does this change anything in terms of people's views of him around the SEC? Um, no, I mean, look, this is the thing. This is the one thing Eli's probably done best than, better than anything else since he got the job is, is get these kids with high rankings and convince them to come to Missouri. I mean, he had the two highest ranked recruiting classes. And I have said in, in the heat of the moment, especially with people that follow recruiting, there will be a wave of, well, if he gets Wingo in, in Winery, you, I mean, he's safe. Well, no, that's not how you make a decision on a coach. I mean, it, it, one guy, two guys, especially if they aren't quarterbacks, don't just immediately come in and turn a program around. So uh, this is not me in any way advocating to fire Eli Drinkwitz because truthfully, I think he's going to win enough games this year that this isn't really a conversation we're going to be having in December. But my point is, if Desiree Reed francois and the decision makers at Missouri, if you get to that day after the Arkansas game and you're thinking, hey, this isn't working, we got to go a new direction, then I don't think you change your mind on that based on well, we can't do it because he signed Williams Winner. So you mentioned, Gabe, the money part of this, and it's so refreshing that we can actually talk about this out in the public now, and it's not all it's kind of behind that closed so many doors. People still don't, though. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's part of it, right? Like this, I mean, yeah. not only part of it; it's a huge part of it. When we talk about free agency in the NFL or Major League Baseball, like where, why do people go where they go? Well, because they got paid the most there, most likely. It's not always the case, but more often right. than not, people go to the highest bidder, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what the money is there for. When a job is offered to you. If somebody's offering you significantly more than another place, chances are you're probably going to lean towards that place. How big of a factor do you think that was here with Williams Winery? How big of a factor was the new NIL law in the state of Missouri for this as well? Yeah, it was huge with Winery. I mean, Missouri really wasn't considered to be in this two or three months ago. And then he took an official visit in June, and it was a pretty interesting approach during that weekend. They had 14 kids on campus. But it was really like, okay, we got Williams Winery, and we then we got Ryan Wingo, and then we've also got 12 other guys here. 
And, you know, I, I was interested to see how it would work going into that weekend because it was clear. This is viewed as we got the two superstars and then the other guys. We like you, but, like, we don't – we're not going to treat you quite like we treat these other two guys, right? So um, – but it's worked out. Missouri's gotten eight of them so far. Uh, now with Winnery and Wingo still out there. But, uh, look, the money, you, you can't deny uh, my – Absolute favorite thing that has happened in the last two or three weeks since Missouri started uh, picking up momentum here is the number of Oklahoma fans who have come at me on Twitter, which is interesting because I have nothing to do with this recruitment, by the way. Uh, I did not contribute. I, I, I had never spoken to Williams before yesterday. But um, the number of OU fans that have come at me with, well, he's only going there for the money. Well, first of all, the – richness of the irony of that coming from <laughs> Oklahoma fans is absolutely amazing. Like, I don't know how you think your program got good or any program in college football got good, but I got real bad news for you if you think money was I'm sure it was the fact that everybody just wanted to go hang out right. in Norman, Oklahoma, Gabe. Right. That was Bud it. Wilkinson, just family atmosphere, That's man, right. a really good guy, right? Barry, Barry Switzer, I think, has a reputation as being one of the cleanest coaches in college football. That's right. Um, so... But but then the second part of it is, like you're saying, well, it's only the money. Well, the analogy I've used, well, Roger Clemens only struck out 5,000 people because he could throw 99. Take that away, and he wouldn't have struck out. But Well, yeah, but that's part of it. I, I mean, it is perfectly legal now. And it, it, look, just beyond, I mean, I said it two years ago. Without NIL, Luther Burden's probably not at Missouri. Without NIL, Williams Winery's probably not at Missouri. But you use what you have available to you, right? There, I, I think there's this uh, thought process out there that, like, the schools that are spending the big money are the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio State. No, they don't have to because you know what they can sell? They can sell come play for multiple rings while you're here and you're probably going in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. The teams that are spending are the teams that are trying to catch those programs that – that don't have that pedigree and that tradition to sign. And, I mean, it's exactly like, you know, the Kansas City Royals got to offer somebody more to sign than, like, a grown-up Major League Baseball team has to offer them to sign. So, yeah, Missouri's probably got to go a little above and beyond for some of these kids, but that's part of the deal. That's what we call the bad team tax, right? The Jaguars, whenever they sign Christian Kirk, they got to pay a little extra because they're the Jaguars, and that's (laughs) what it takes to be able to get legitimate NFL wide receivers at the time. Now they've got a good quarterback, and maybe you have to pay a little bit less. I did want to ask you about that, Gabe, in terms of, like, the – the lesser teams, maybe not the historical programs paying more for some of these guys. I've seen it put elsewhere that NIL could potentially make it a little bit more of an even playing playing field for some of these schools. Do you believe that to be the case? Do you think this is actually going to have a long-term beneficial effect for programs like Mizzou or Illinois, for example? Well, I'm not sure there's going to be any long-term effect of this because I think in two years this whole thing's going to probably look different than Fair. it does today. But uh, Dan Wetzel was the first guy I heard say this, and, and he said it over and over, like starting a year and a half ago. He said, look, Ohio State and USC and Texas can only take so many guys, right? Uh, there's only so much money there that you can spend. You only get 25 guys a year. So for a kid that grows up in Minneapolis, maybe Minnesota has a chance. Maybe Boise has a chance at keeping some kids that they wouldn't otherwise keep. Missouri 
fits into that as well. Um, now, is it going to give Missouri the number three recruiting class in the country? In all likelihood, no. But if it can get you Williams Winery or help, if it can help you with Ryan Wingo, if it can help you with two or three kids a year, then, yeah, it does make a difference. And, and we're really talking about you know, we're really talking about probably the top 50 players in the country, if, if that, if we're being honest, that are making like these uh, these these amounts that, that a lot of us would look at and say, man, I wish I could go back and play college football, right? I mean, the, the truth is most college football players probably are not being offered six figures on the recruiting trail before they've played it down. But the top end absolutely are. Final question. We'll get you out of here on this. Gabe DeArmond is our guest. PowerMizzou.com is where you find all of his fantastic work. When Mizzou finishes the season this year, the regular season, their record will be what, Gabe? I've picked them seven and five. Um, I I think eight and four is a little more likely than six and six, although I think both of those are in play. But I, I, I think they've got three that you look at. You know, Tennessee, LSU, Georgia, it would be they're going to be significant underdogs in those games. It would be a surprise if they won any of those. Then you throw and because it's in Columbia, I will throw the Kansas State game into the toss-ups. You know, I think K-State will be favored. They're a top-20 team. But, yeah, K-State, South Carolina, Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida. Your season comes down to those. You go 3-2, and two, then you're looking at a 7-5 season. You know, if you can manage to win four, maybe you win eight. So, I think they're in that 6-8 to eight range, and so I, I picked them at 7. If you were a PowerMizzou.com subscriber, you knew that williams Winarius was very likely to pick the University of Missouri about a week ago now. If you weren't, you were probably a little surprised yesterday that he ended up picking Mizzou. So that's the benefit of being a subscriber over there. Gabe, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You got it. That's Gabe DeArmond, one of my good friends, publisher over at PowerMizzou.com. If you have not subscribed over there and you're a Mizzou fan, go ahead and get over there. Basically, the cup, uh, cost of a couple cups of coffee, coffee a month. It is well worth it. It is hard for me to say, but it is easy for you to do. Alex, that K-State game that he mentioned there, week three of the season, Mizzou starts out against South Dakota and Middle Tennessee State. If they lose either of those two games, it's a disaster. Like, full-blown, blow it all up. There's no way that can happen this year. That K-State game could change everything for the season. Because if you win that one, now you've got Memphis and St. Louis, you should win that game. You got Vandy on the road, should win that game. Now you're coming back home on October 7th, with a record of 5-0 and on the season, and that game against LSU very well may be a night game, nationally televised, with a chance to start the season. Now, I don't think they'll do it, but a chance to start the season 6-0, and and you'll be in a spot similar to what you were last year against Georgia, where if you shock the world and you pull something like that off, now we're dreaming big for Mizzou this year. Again, I don't expect that to be the case. I will pick them to lose against K-State. K-State's a really good team, and I think they get underrated every season. But if they win it, and it's at home, that is how you start opening the eyes of not only Mizzou fans, but some of these other recruits that Gabe just mentioned, 
And now you start really building some momentum going into the offseason as yeah. well. And that's going to be the more fascinating aspect of it if you can take that momentum. Because if you're 7-5 and five or 6-6, six and six, like Gabe said, uh, you're doing the same thing every single year. Yeah. And uh, the part that I was kind of surprised by when he said was it doesn't really matter this recruiting class in terms of if they have to move on from drink, they have to move on from drink. That never matters for those decisions. I know, that's about the record. Man, when you get these commits, though, you're talking about potentially losing those guys them matter two, three years from now, yeah. though. Like, look, look at what Luther Burden did last year. This is no shot against Luther Burden. Luther Burden was one of the least efficient wide receivers in the country last year. Yeah. And that wasn't because of the quarterback play. I know everybody yells about the quarterback. No, Luther Burden was not as good last year as Dom Lovett. He was like your third most, third best wide receiver. In terms of talent level, you could argue he was the most talented guy. But Luther Burden was the reason why Luther Burden didn't have a whole lot of efficiency last year. The same thing's very likely to be true for Ryan Wingo or Williams Winery next year. Those guys, it takes some time to really be a dominant player in the SEC. If you think Eli Drinkwitz is not the coach for you long term, then you make the decision after the year. I would be pretty surprised by that, though. I think they have a good enough team this year to be able to go 8-4, and 7-5, and five, and if he does that, I would be absolutely shocked if they make any kind of a move. Yeah, I, I think if they go around that 7-5, I think he's safe 6-6. Six and six, It starts to become a little bit more of a conversation, but I, it's all about winning. Like You can recruit all you want. You're not yep. winning football games. The university doesn't care because that's what draws people in is a that's winning the money football comes program. From. Exactly, and that's why, like, well, we can talk all about drinks recruiting and look, he that's what Gabe said. That's what he's been known for is recruiting. We haven't seen the on field results yet for him. And that that's what's big for Eli Drinkwitz. Can he win with the classes that he's bringing in? And last year you were so close, right? Like you look back at that Auburn game. You were a fumble into the end zone <laughs> away from winning that one. You look back Brittle. at the Georgia game. You were a guy getting uh tackled at the one yard yep. line away from potentially being able to win that one. You look back at the Florida game. If you didn't throw three interceptions, two of which were on the wide receivers, not on the quarterback, you very well could have won that game as well. The Kentucky game was another. You were right there in so many of these. If you win one or two of them, we look back at last year and say, Hey man, eight and four, you had a real chance to be even better than that. And maybe this is the year that you take advantage and you take that next step. But because they ended up every single one of those games going in the opposite direction, ugh, now you're wondering, can he be the guy that ends up getting it done? We'll talk a little more Mizzou football coming up in the one o'clock hour. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line. Uh, this one comes from the 636. Questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. If Luther Burden has a repeat of his freshman year, do you think he transfers after the season? Guys, if Luther Burden, if we're just being totally honest here, and I'm not trying to be mean to the kid, he's an unbelievably talented player. If Luther Burden has a repeat of his freshman year, I don't think he's going to have a ton of options for where he's going to transfer to. Prospect pedigree only gets you so far. Last year, Burden struggled a lot in his transition to the college football level. He had one. I looked this up during the break. He had one fewer target last season than Dominic Lovett. Dominic Lovett has 400 more yards receiving last year than Luther Burden on a one more target. That's not a uh, that's not because Dom Lovett was just like getting lucky. He was better last year than Burden. 
I expect Burden to be much better in 23. He's playing in a more natural position. He's going to be in the slot. It's going to help him get open easier because you have less press man coverage on the outside or in the slot than you do on the outside. I think Burden's going to end up being a really good player for Mizzou. But let's reel it in. It's really hard to be a high-level player in the SEC as a true freshman it wasn't all because of the quarterback position. Some of it was the offense. Some of it was the quarterback. A lot of it was the transition to the next level. From the 636, guys, which Blues player, if any, do you think could be extended either during the preseason or during the regular season? Alex, do you think the Blues have any extension candidates this year? No, I, I wouldn't. I would say none of them. I guess if I was to be forced to pick one, it would either be Sammy Blair, Casperi, Kapanen, depending on how their season plays out. I don't think they extend Verana. I think Kapanen's probably going to be a trade candidate if they're not in the race. So Sammy Blay would be the more likely one. But frankly, you don't have any guys that I think are worthy of extensions at this time because you got a lot more depth in your system. So I would say that uh, don't plan on any contract extensions. It's kind of where I am. I, I don't see them handing out any extension. And though, like, Verona could be a guy that could score, like, 30, 40 goals. I mean, your hope would be that in, what, two, three years, that's Jimmy Snuggerud's rule. So you don't really need to lock up Jakub Verona and you have Kyra that's already on the top line. So I can't really see anybody. Maybe you do do something with Sammy Blay, do another one-year kind of type extension. Maybe Kapanen, but I don't think it's going to be anybody. Uh, from the 314, guys, which NFL coach do you think enters the season with the most pressure to perform this year? Let's let's keep it there. I'm not necessarily saying that this is the coach that enters the season where if he doesn't succeed, he gets fired. But who do you think has the most pressure to perform this season? I would say Sean Payton with his background and with the roster that they have in place and, and then now firing off on Nathaniel Hackett, I, I would say that Sean Payton's got the most pressure. He's not going to be fired if they stink. Frankly, they'll move on from Russell Wilson if they stink. But I would say he's probably under the most pressure for everything that's taken place this offseason. Outside at what I think are the obvious two here are McCarthy and uh, what's his name? Staley in LA. Staley's a really good one. I, I would throw Robert Sala in this. That's circle, check mark. Yep, totally agree. I think he is fired if they if they disappoint because he's a defensive line, and though it went poorly with Hackett in Denver. He's there in New York. He's running the offense with the guy that loves him in Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if he would be the heir apparent if Sala was let go, but he would probably be the leader in the clubhouse. And I know it was a disaster in Denver, but if Rodgers loves him, and we saw the treatment Rodgers got to come to New York, I think they struggle. They're going to look for an offensive mind to pair with Aaron Rodgers. Totally agree. That was the name that I had first. I'll give you my second one. And I I don't even know if I really believe it, but there's a whole lot of reports that suggest that this is true. Bill Belichick is under a lot of pressure this year. If they end up going 7-10, and 6-11, something like that this season, and it doesn't get better, there is reporting from people that are trustworthy in New England that suggests it could be a parting of ways between Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots after the season. I don't think they'll be that bad. I think if you have Belichick as your coach, your floor is eight wins. But going into the season, that's not the most talented team you'll see on paper. And they play in arguably the most difficult division in the NFL. So seven wins is not completely out of the realm of the possible. So I, I would say he is the one for me that enters the season with the most pressure uh, from the 636 final question here. Guys, not sure if Tampa would accept it, but would you be interested in trading for a guy like Shane McClanahan, who is coming off of a serious elbow issue? 
I wonder what the pros or what the price would be for something like that. Because you, you expect him to miss all of next season. I going to say, it doesn't really help you anytime soon. This would be a 2025 type of a move, most likely. I mean, I still think he would cost a pretty penny. I, I mean, do, you're, too. You're talking about a guy that is a Cy Young-type pitcher yeah. when he is healthy and right. So Yeah, I, I don't think I would. I think there's other guys that I'd trade the capital that I would have to give up to get McClanahan for. That could help me right away. He's got four more years of cost control remaining next year will be year one of arbitration for him so he'll start making real money two years from now it would be a very raise like move to move on from him this offseason see i think he's a raise type extension extend him while he's low with the elbow issue i mean that's what they did with glass now remember he made five million dollars this year was only two years kick up yeah but i can see where they go low in like year one two because i mean he's only gonna pitch in like september next year if that um and then you pay him lower i'm not saying you're paying them league minimum but you're paying them lower next year and the year after and then i you could also see them the just end. say forget the extension we'll play this thing out in two years we get a really good year out of mcclanahan in his first year back from the injury and that's when they deal him so i could totally see that as well you'd be dealing low right now probably in terms of the value yeah if they were gonna trade him it would probably take mason win like a, a high level i mean a shortstop would probably be something that they're looking for this offseason would be my guess um so mason win might be the type of thing that they would be looking to acquire coming up in about 15 minutes or so we'll dive into some nfl quick hitters including if you could pick three non-quarterbacks under the age of 25 to start your nfl team with who would you go with we'll give you our answers to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so but next the cardinals made it clear yesterday adam wainwright's getting one more chance to prove himself in the rotation What happens next? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. He understands that that he knows he's got to do better and um, he's appreciated that he's getting the opportunity, but he understands that um, things could change. That was John Mozalock, who was not exactly completely reassuring yesterday when discussing Adam Wainwright's future in the rotation alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. So the Cardinals made it clear yesterday when speaking to the media, both Ollie Marmel and John Mozalock, hey, he's got one more shot. And then we'll kind of reevaluate from there. We'll sit down after his start on Thursday and see what the future looks like. Wayno is skipping his bullpen session this week because he wants to save all of his bullets for Thursday. Everything about both the actions and the words speak to this being the last opportunity for Wayno to be able to recapture his spot or to keep his spot in this rotation. Alex, how'd you feel about what you heard yesterday in regards to Wayno's future? I mean, I understand where Mo's coming from. I understand where Wayno's coming from. I think they're doing two things here. I think they're valuing the sanctity of Wayno's career by 
not continuing to throw him out there just to chase 200, but I also think they're valuing the future of all of this. And after this next Wayno start, and now with Steven Matz being potentially done, I think you could be seeing three new names getting consistent rotation opportunities, Thompson, Libertor, and Hudson, to figure out who's there for them in 2024. So part of me still doesn't buy it, and I I know that just me living in a fantasy world because I feel like the Cardinals are just going to continue to do it if Wayno wants to do it, but maybe Wayno's come to the conclusion of, look, it's just not going to happen to get to 200 if this... He's basically throwing out everything that he's typically done for one start to see if he can get the best out of it. And if he gets the best out of it, then he'll do it again to see if he can get to 200 and then call it. So, yeah, I, I I think they're doing it right by giving him one more opportunity here at home to try and right the ship and see if he can turn it around. And I mean, they're truly at their last like straw to pull and see if it works. Skipping a bullpen is just unheard of to where the, if that's truly if he, if that means he can't throw a bullpen because that's what affects him in, in starts. So he said, remember after his last start he said, I don't understand why my bullpens look so yeah. good it and then my his, starts look so bad. It means just he can't his body just can't recover. Be, and that's father time catching up with him. So yeah. that this is the last straw to try it. I do think they're going to move on though if it not like DFA, I want to make it clear. I think they're going to pull him out of the rotation if it goes poorly against the Mets. I think that's when you potentially see someone like, whether it be Rom gets called up who's on the 40-man or they decide to select a contract like a Michael McGreevy or Gordon Graceffo and throw him into the rotation. I think that's what they'll do, and they'll either put Wayno in the bullpen or they'll place him on the IL. But Wayno recently just said he doesn't have an injury. So I think what they'll do is they would throw him in the pen if it doesn't go right after this next start. Somebody from the 314 said, guys, if he goes out there and has a mediocre start but manages to get the win, then what do you do? They just leave him sitting at 199? I don't know. That's what I would do, but I doubt that the Cardinals would. If he goes out there and is competitive, I think you just throw him out there again in five days. The problem has been that he has been non-competitive over his last two starts. He's gone out there, given you four total innings, has allowed 18 hits, 15 earned runs, has walked two and struck out five. He has a 33.7 ERA over his last two outings. That's why they're considering pulling him out of the rotation. If he goes out there and goes five innings, allows five earned runs, and you win eight to six at the end of the night, cool. He goes out there in five days. Yeah, like that, That's it. it. It really is that simple. It's about whether or not he's competitive for you. If he finds ways to get guys out and he does what he's always done in his major league career, which is make the necessary adjustment, uh, adjustments, then you're fine. And you can have him as part of your rotation, especially now that you have so many other spots that have been filled by guys that you're not totally sure about. But it's the non-competitiveness that's been a problem for him. I also wanted to get to something that I heard yesterday on the um, the Starkville podcast. So over on the Athletics Baseball Show feed, they had Joey Votto on the show yesterday. And they talked to him about how he's still having success at his advanced age and why he still wants to do it. He had a serious injury. Um, the sh- the The surgery that he had... He said that it's about 50-50 for guys to even come back and play, much less to come back and be effective. So he was talking about why he's still doing it and how he's still having success. I thought his answer to this reminded me a lot of what we've heard from Adam Wainwright. Give a listen to Joey Votto. In the midst of, of this, this, this comeback from the injury, there are so many moments where the doubt creeps in where it's like you're done. Or you really think you can keep doing this sort of thing? And then things get better. Swing gets better. Body starts feeling better. Shoulder, arm in general, body in general starts feeling better. And then it's like, no, 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 I want more sort of thing. And it, coming back from this rehab, 
has kind of been this sort of up and down experience. Even on the field, your peers, it's old guy, washed up, retire, or wow, you're old, amazing. I can't believe it. You're almost 40. <laughs> the message being sent to me is, is like, whoever's speaking to me understands the context of where I'm at and are, are providing their own sort of you know projection onto it. So that was Joey Votto. And the big thing there is what he said at the beginning. When he first went down on his rehab, he was like, I don't even know if I can do this. But then it feels better. And he starts seeing some of the signs of progress. And then it continues getting better. He's like, okay, maybe I can. And then it falls back a little bit. And then he takes two steps forward once again. That's where wayno has been for the vast majority of this season. You think back to what happened to him whenever this team went over to London and he was completely non-competitive. And then he had to go on the injured list for a little while. And then he came back and he he did have two pretty solid starts, honestly, against both Chicago and Arizona. And it was like, okay, maybe he's going to be able to get this thing back on track. And then, boom, it fell off of a cliff again. So if you're Adam Wainwright, my guess is he's thinking this is going to be the start. He's thinking to himself, you know what? I found a way to get through this before. I feel physically fine. I'm going to find a way. There's going to be a release point thing or a stride thing. There's going to be something that I can do because there always has been. That's going to get me back on track. And the thing that might be different this time, I don't know if this is the case, but it kind of feels that way to me as an outsider looking in. I don't know if there's a tweak that fixes this. There wasn't a tweak down the stretch last year, and he thought there was. He thought he found it going into the season. It ended up that this is just kind of a continuation of what we saw in September of last year. And I, I hope that I'm wrong here. I would love nothing more than this. I don't think that there is a tweak this time around. I think that what you're watching is his body has just betrayed him and he no longer has the same stuff to be able to make the necessary adjustments to get guys out on a consistent level at the major league level. And I think he realizes that, which is why they're going down this path of skipping the bullpen session and just going straight to the start because he realizes that tweaks aren't going to be there. But if you're Wayno, your second half of your career has been all about you resurfacing your career from tweaks when he had the Achilles injury and he came back and it looked like he wasn't going to be able to pitch again. He talked about that. And then the next season he tweaked something, changed his whole regime. And next thing you know, he's re reinvigorated. And then what was it? It was three years ago where he also felt like he was at the end of it. I remember him having the quote where he said, like, I'm going to stay on the mound until I have to walk off of it, which might be sooner rather than later. Remember so, Danny Mac said coming off of the mound one day, this might be the last time that yeah. we see this guy. And he said, he's like, I'm going to give it my all and walk away. And he said, I'm not going to talk about retirement and then the next two seasons he pitched 200 innings each and was like oh he found it again so if you're Wayno, you're living in this world of i figured it out multiple times in my career to stay alive up until i'm 41 why can't i do it for three more starts and that's where i feel like he's fighting this inner demon of do i have that tweak in me one more time but is that tweak going to be me skipping bullpens just so I can have everything for five innings? Yeah, and I think it just takes him one start to have that reassuring factor that Joey Votto was talking about, where it is, you know, I don't know if I can do this, and then, boom, my swing feels good, and okay, I'm ready to go take off. Wayno's that guy to where it is. Yep. I mean, those two starts, like you just mentioned, when he came off the IL, I mean, it wasn't like vintage Adam Wayne, right? But it was, hey, you can get by with that. I mean, if the bullpen doesn't blow a game, we're talking about what went away from uh, uh, 200. So I, I think when you look at Adam Wainwright, I, I think he's the athlete that if this does work, this skipping the bullpen keeps the arm fresher and allows more life on pitches and allows him to kind of get through five. I don't know how pretty it'll be, but get through five innings. I think he can take that and run with it. He's the kind of athlete that all it takes is that one start 
just that one start that is good, not great, to where he can build Arizona off of start. and feel good about himself moving forward. I think that's all he needs. I think he just needs that one start to where he can say, all right, this is it. This is what I've been needing. My arm just can't recover quick enough after a bullpen, even though the bullpen's not going 100%. I just needed that, and now I can go and finish this and get to 200. Wayno starts on Thursday night against the New York Mets. We'll see what that looks like. Jose Quintana currently expected to start in that no, game be able to beat him. for New York. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. The first thing that I want to ask you guys, I'll give you some time to think about it. If you could pick any three non-quarterbacks under the age of 25 to start your football team with, who would you go with? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, this isn't the NFL quick hitters we'll battle alongside segment. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So I asked the question going into break because earlier today, there was a piece over on The Athletic ranking the best players in the league. Oh, oh now this gets me excited. Now we're at football. Under the age of 25. Now, as you could probably imagine, a good number of these players are quarterbacks because there's a lot of young quarterbacks that are on the up and up and coming in the league right now. You've got Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Some of the better quarterbacks in the league are under the age of 25. Trevor Lawrence on that list as well. What if I limited it to non-quarterbacks? And I said, guys, you could start your team with three staples, three guys under the age of 25, and you can pick whoever you want. Salary cap be damned. Who would you want on your team? Who would you be building around the top three non-quarterbacks under the age of 25? Jamar Chase. Um, Probably need some type of defender, which I'll go Sauce Gardner. I like that idea of a corner of a uh, He's on my list. cornerback. And then just for the hell of it, because he's my boy, Jordan Davis. What? Yeah. Why really? Not? No, of course not. But some type of defensive lineman. I don't know who would be the right guy. We got the list on here. Under the age of 25. Parsons, my guy. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. I completely forgot about Parsons. I, okay, yeah. I would go Parsons, and then I would go two wide receivers. I I, I thought really? about a second edge, but I, I agree with Chase, and then I'd go Justin Jefferson. Like, leaving Justin Jefferson off of your team, yeah, you're a terrible GM. Like you're you're gonna be in a spot of where you're an analyst if you're not gonna have him on your list. So well, that was a those shot would at somebody. Be, those would be my you, three. <laughs> who didn't pick yeah. Justin Jefferson? I picked Jamar Chase. Who's <laughs> good? Yeah, well, he's not even he he's good, but he's no Justin Jefferson. I would take Justin Jefferson. I think over Jamar Chase. Yeah, I would have both if I'm being honest. I, I think both are the guys. And then I thought about, again. I thought about two defensive ends because you got to have a great pass rush. But I'm like, you know, Parsons makes up for the guy that I'm not. It's interesting. There. We all had pretty similar ideas. I've got Justin Jefferson as my number one pick. I would go Micah Parsons as my my number two pick. And then I would be down to one of the two corners. I would want a wide receiver, corner, defensive end, either Pat Sertan the second or Sauce Gardner. I would be fine with who, whoever you take, Alex. I'll take the other. I'll just take whoever the second one is, and I feel pretty good about it. I think those would be my considerations up there. I, it's a really impressive time for defensive talent in the NFL. Because you go through this, like I wouldn't take all these guys necessarily, but Parsons, Nick Bosa, who none of us mentioned is 25 years old and is a legit stud coming off of the edge. Sertan, who I mentioned, Quinnen Williams, who just got his big contract in the offseason, Sauce Gardner. There are some big time defenders under the age of 25 in the league right now. All right, as we continue, some NFL quick hitters. News yesterday, Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin Cook both have found their new teams, guys. 
Zeke signed with the Patriots. It's a one-year deal worth $4 million and some incentives. Dalvin Cook signed with the Minnesota Vikings. Or excuse me, not with the Vikings. Dalvin Cook signed with the Jets. A one-year deal worth $7 million. And there's incentives there as well. Which one of those guys, if you're in fantasy football, who would you rather have? Ezekiel Elliott or Dalvin Cook, Alex? Dalvin Cook. I think Zeke is going to be a goal line running back, and I think that's all you're going to use him for, which obviously is going to get you points. But at least at the beginning of the season, I think Dalvin Cook is going to be heavily used until Brees Hall is at 100%. And then when he's at 100%, I still see them using a 50-50 split of Dalvin Cook because Hall is so young. So I would take Dalvin Cook over Ezekiel Elliott. I think I would take Cook too. I, I I really don't know if I want either because I, like Hall, like when he's healthy, like I had that guy on my fantasy team last year. He's gonna beat Cook out for that job. Like I can guarantee you that that guy was a stud last year when he was healthy. But because there are the concerns with the knee injury, maybe he's not a hundred percent, not as explosive, and Cook does take more of the rushing there. I think Ze- I think you're right on Zeke. I, I think he's gonna be more short yardage guy in the red zone, and maybe that does lead to points. But are you really willing to gamble on that for? him in the red zone when I don't even like the Patriots offense, I'm not willing to. As long as he doesn't take any snaps under center. Or literally snapping the ball yeah. as the center. Keep uh, the blocking. I would go Dalvin Cook just because I, I do wonder with the Jets, like, are they going to take it really slow with Brees Hall? Are they going to say, you know what, Brees? We'll let you rest up that leg, and by week 10, we want you at 100% for the stretch run for us. And then in the first 10 weeks of the season, you get a really good starting point for Dalvin Cook. And that carries you on your team early in the season. So I'd go Dalvin. I don't think there's any upside whatsoever with Ezekiel Elliott on the Patriots. I I think Ramondre Stevenson is just a much better player than he is. I think you'll see similar to what it was at the end of last year with the Cowboys, where it was Tony Pollard has clearly overtaken Zeke. I think the same will be true in New England with Ramondre over Ezekiel Elliott. So I, I would rather have Dalvin Cook, and I don't think it's all that close if we're being totally honest. Next thing up for some NFL quick hitters, it was announced earlier today that Anthony Richardson will officially be the starter for the Indianapolis Colts in week one this season. T-Bone, I know you are the most pessimistic on Anthony Richardson on this show. Where do you think the Colts finish in their division in the AFC South? Now that it, we know who their starting quarterback is going to be. I think they're going to be third is where I would put them. I, I think they're behind Jacksonville. I think they're a clear and obvious favorite in the AFC South. I, I think Tennessee, I don't think they're a great team, but I think they can finish second. Dude, I never bet against Mike Rabel. I just, I I'm not willing to do it. I don't either. Now that they can get back to kind of what they were when they had A.J. Brown with their signing of DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, I don't like a team that's built around a running back like they are, but I could see where they finish second. I just don't have enough faith. I think they're going to be better than Houston. I'm not sold on Stroud, and I don't think they've got enough pieces there. I think Indy's got some pieces, but I'm just not sold on Richardson. I think they go like 6-11. That'd be what I would probably put them at right now. Sounds about right to me. That's what I would have them at as well. I would probably say 7-10. and 10. I'm a little higher than on Richardson, as you know, than you are. I would love to have him on my fantasy team. Now that it's been announced, this is a guy that I'll be drafting in a bunch of different fantasy leagues this year. <laughs> I do think we're underestimating what Tennessee's going to be, though. I, not just you, T Bone, but in general, the generic we. I, I Last year, get they vibe. were seven and three coming er, at, through week 10. They got hurt. A bunch of their guys ended up going on the injured list. Tannehill missed the last few weeks of the year, and he was hurt even when he did come back um, from the IR. I, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to win like eight or nine games this year. You're going to see DeAndre Hopkins have a nice season for them. Their defense is always going to be solid with Mike Vrabel in charge. 
I think they'll be competing for a wild card spot this year and finish right on the outside looking in. So yeah. I'll have the Indianapolis Colts finishing third this year in the South. I actually think I might have them finishing below Houston. Really? I, I, You're a believer I, in the Texans? I, I don't know if I'm a believer in the Texans. I just skeptical of the Colts. Their offensive line was not as good as it was supposed to be last year. And frankly, their defense underperformed. A lot of that was due to injuries. But I, I, I think the offensive line might be in favor of Indy, but I think the weapons might be in favor of Houston in terms of offense with CJ Stroud and Nico Collins and with, um, uh, what's his name? Robert Woods. If he stays and they got Dalton Schultz, didn't they from Dallas too? So, and then of course they had Will Anderson on top of CJ Stroud. So I, I think that's going to be a battle between those two teams of who's going to be at the bottom. Final thing. As we finish up some NFL quick hitters here on BK and Ferrario guys, it was announced yesterday that Amazon Prime is going to have a new documentary that follows Eagles All-Pro Center Jason Kelsey through the 2022-2023 season. Genius. It premieres on September 12th. Is this something that interests you? Not just the Kelsey version of this, the Jason Kelsey to be specific, but if other players started to do something similar as Jason Kelsey did, would that interest you guys, individual players in the NFL? It would interest me to be able to follow along with a player from start to finish. I, I think that's, it gives you a peek behind the curtains and a little bit more of the realistic view of the players that you root for. And I think it's smart to start with a guy like that in terms of intrigue and it's great personality. Yeah. A guy that everybody is going to kind of flock to in terms of him being a dad and then the podcast with this brother. But yeah, I think this is genius. And just to start with football and then you continue on, I think it's going to be, this will be huge. Yeah. I don't have interest in this. I'm, I want to follow more of multiple people in a documentary. Cause I think you still get the same, same thing where you get to experience, not experience, but you see what it is like for an everyday athlete, like quarterback on Netflix. I'm watching that right now. I get to experience what it's like as a quarterback following three guys. I don't know if you have enough there for one person that you could just individually follow. I like following individual teams in documentaries, but if we're going to just do players, I don't want just one player. I want a multitude of players think, to kind of bounce around. I think when you get one player, you get the home life aspect of it too. Yeah, but I got that. I'm getting that in quarterback right now. Like I've got an idea. Oh, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, I see what his birthday party looks like. That was cool. Mariota, I see what his home life is like. I see what Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins' home life is like. Like I get that with the three guys. I don't need just one player. I think this has potential. You have to get the right guy to do it. Jason Kelsey might be the right guy. He's got a great personality. He's already hosting a podcast. He knows how to be the center of attention and to capture the camera over the course of however long that he's going to be on this thing. I don't know that there's a whole lot of guys that are that way in the NFL that will be actually willing to do this. Like, Do I think that... Justin Herbert would be good on a TV show like this? Absolutely not. I don't think he's interesting enough. I think it will take somebody in the realm of a Jason Kelsey that can actually capture the attention attention in the hearts and the minds of the viewers. I, I think there will be a lot of different copycats of this that end up not going over as well as whatever this is with Jason Kelsey. I bet you this will be entertaining. I don't know how long it is. I don't know how much they're going to try to squeeze out of it. You probably got a mini series here. My guess is like four or five episodes. That'll probably be more than enough. If they're trying to squeeze this into like a 12 episode thing, that'll be, yeah, it'll be too much time to to be able to cover. And you're not going to have enough stuff in it. That'll be interesting for the entirety of those episodes. But I could see something like this in the future. I think you could do something like this where it's like one or two episodes 
per person that you're doing it on. So a one hour following of a player over the course of a season. Then you can I get some mind. really good um, some really good content that way. I just always fear, are we trying to get too much out of this? Not everybody can be the Michael Jordan where you get a six-part documentary. Some guys get one. Derek Jeter, not interesting enough for a six-part documentary. It was ridiculous. If anybody watched that, I'm sorry that you wasted your time. Man, BK had you one episode. Derek Jeter. Dude, he, God, he just... He, he left baskets you for girls that he every, slept with. You, Genius. You watched every episode of that documentary. I didn't watch a second of the documentary because you I knew it was coming your way. It was all a, a PR stint by Derek Jeter because everything that he's ever done in his entire life is a PR stint to tell you more about Derek Jeter. Have you heard anything interesting that he's ever said on Fox? What? Well, no, no, but I haven't heard anything interesting from David Ortiz, Alex Rodriguez, Frank has a, Thomas when they had oh, him. Oh, get out of here. David Ortiz is a fun personality. Yeah, he's a fun personality. I've never heard, heard him say something and I go, oh, wow, is Derek that Jeter is fun? Well, Bring no. something to the table, dude. Give me something. He's got nothing that is coming out He's of his right. mouth that's interesting. He does not add anything to that show. There was no reason to put him on that set other than the fact that he's Derek Jeter. He's number two. That's all you've got. There's you, nothing you done more over there. there. I'm done. Coming up next. Gosh. There is one like pitch. Dylan Carlson. <laughs> one pitch right now out of a certain Cardinals starter. That might give him enough reason for optimism heading into the offseason. We'll tell you what that pitch is, how it's changed his arsenal next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Zach Thompson will try to give the Cardinals some length and hope to come back in an 8-0 game. That ball turned over. Pretty pitch. Second strikeout for Thompson. Zach comes set, and here it is. He struck him out. Zach Thompson with brilliant work in relief. Four innings of one-run ball with five strikeouts. Momentum in the Cardinals' dugout. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That's what it sounded like on Bally Sports Midwest and Zach Thompson's most recent appearance. Another four strikeout performance by him. And Zach Thompson's going to have a serious opportunity that is in front of him. He is now going to take the place of Steven Matz in the Cardinals rotation. And T-Bone had mentioned this, Alex, about a week and a half ago, I think it was. Hey, check out Zach Thompson's cutter. They're calling it a slider on the broadcast. It's labeled a cutter in some places, whatever you want to call it. It's been a good pitch for him, and maybe that's something that could open things up for him. Well, at that point, it, he had used it, you know, five, ten times in some of his outings here for the Cardinals. And then he went out there and pitched against the Royals. Wait, why'd you pause? Because he mentioned the Royals? Because he, he pitched against the Royals. He threw it 27 times in that game. In every other major league appearance so far this season, he had thrown eight sliders and cutters. So suddenly this is becoming a real pitch for him. Now, if you look at his usage of it down in the minor leagues, the effectiveness wasn't always there. So it's something that he's still working with. But what we've seen from this pitch by Zach Thompson since he's come back up to the big leagues has been very encouraging. Opposing hitters are batting just 250 against his cutter over his last three outings. They have yet to have an extra base hit against his uh, cutter. He's getting a swing and miss on it about one out of every three times that he throws it. 
all five batted balls against his cutter so far, the slider, whatever you want to call it, they've all been on the ground. This is a pitch that could really open things up for him, especially against right-handed hitters, which has been a bit of an issue for Zach Thompson in the big leagues. Team one, I want to start with you because I'm curious your thoughts on it because you were the first one that made us kind of aware of the fact that he was using this a little bit more. How significant of a development is it for Zach Thompson if this pitch becomes a real player for him at the big league level? I, I think he's a guy that can become a starter if he has three pitches and a gutter. Can be. And, like, next year, we, I mean, we've talked about it. They need to add three veteran starters. So he's not going to be a starter on the big league roster next year. But he can start in the minor leagues as a starter and try and compete for that sixth guy up when an injury does occur. Because now he's got life that moves every which direction. He's got a fastball that is straight. He's got a curveball that goes kind of 12 to 6. And then he got a pitch that kind of moves uh, ver- vertically. No, horizontally. It goes side to side in a cutter slash slider. Um, so, and I think you need that. I, you need three pitches to be a starter in the big leagues. I know Spencer Strider is like the only guy that I can think of that has success with just two pitches, and he's trying to develop a third. Outside of that, you don't have a third pitch. It's just too easy. Look look at Matthew Libertor. Matthew Libertor did not have success until he started incorporating a changeup and trying to add a slider to his repertoire to try and have success as a starter. So I, I think it is a big pitch. I, I think he could be a bullpen arm if he just had the fastball curveball, but if he truly wants to be a starter at the big league level, this cutter is the pitch that's going to be the one that determines his faith. And if he do, if it doesn't work out and starts getting hit and it loses movement on it, and, and it might, and it, that is possible, then he's going to be destined to be a bullpen arm. But if this is the pitch that works, I'm not saying he's going to be an ace, but I think he's a guy that could be a starter at the major leagues. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they said in the past that the curve is is the big pitch for him, right? Correct. Yeah. But the setup, when you all like to T-Bone's point of you using a fastball pretty much the entire time to set up the swing and miss with your curveball, teams can predict what you're going to accomplish. So entering with this cutter does change a lot with this, and this obviously signifies two things. One, the pitching coach, Dusty Blake and company, have recognized something because they've used this with certain guys already this season in terms of unlocking some type of potential Steven Matz, Jordan Hicks. They did it last year with Jordan Montgomery, although a different pitching staff. But if you're doing this now, it seems like this is the last ditch resort to try and make him a starter. And I would imagine if you're going to continue to roll him out there, depending on the outcome of Adam Wainwright, you'll know by the end of this season, if this pitch works in terms of being a rotation piece, or if it falls off the cliff and now you're back to the bullpen arm going into next season. Again, I want to make this very clear. It was not a good pitch for him down in the minors. I mean, you guys remember, I I had mentioned it a number of times. That's why I'm skeptical of this project with him trying to become a starter again. my, My guess, my bet, if I was to bet one way or the other, will this work for Zach Thompson as a starter? Will he end up next year being in their plans as a starting pitcher? My my bet would be a no. I think next year he enters the season as a reliever for the St. Louis Cardinals in their big league bullpen. But and the reason why, this pitch got lit up while he used it down in the minor leagues. And I see no reason to believe that that's going to change over a long period of time in the big leagues. I think a lot of guys were probably surprised that he came out with this when he came up to the big leagues. Because the previous scouting report was two-pitch mix. He's going to go with the fastball, and he's going to go with the curveball. And guys were like, okay, wait a second. Now he's implementing this cutter slider, and he's doing it a lot, especially against the Kansas City Royals. Now, as that continues to be a part of the game plan, and after the usage that he had with it against the Royals, it will absolutely be a part of the game plan. I think you'll start seeing guys saying, okay, I've got one pitch that I'm going for, and everybody's going to have a different game plan whenever they go up on there because everybody's a different kind of hitter. But We'll see what it ends up looking like over his next two or three different starts. I would guess 
it starts to look more, not exactly like more like what it was down in the minor leagues when he was a starting pitcher every fifth day for Memphis. And I'm just kind of looking at what I'm seeing here on Baseball Savant and seeing where the cutter slash slider is landing in the zone for the most part. I think the reason he got hit around in the minors was because he didn't locate it, and it's too much over the heart of the plate. And to your point, and this is why it's going to be critical to see how this pitch develops over time, I mean, look at the look at kind of the strikes and when you look at the cutter on baseball spot. Most of these cutters slash sliders are landing kind of in that lower quadrant against a right-handed batter in the zone. And if this pitch is going to be effective for him, sure, maybe he surprised the Royals with it. And honestly, they just can't hit. But maybe he surprised the Royals with that pitch because it wasn't in the scouting report to your point. Now that it's there, you're going to have to locate it because otherwise if these are going to be kind of low and in or middle-middle, yeah, they're going to be feeding a lot of baseballs to the crowd. So he, that's the part that I'm like, yes, he needs this cutter to be a major league starter. Bullpen Arby don't need it. I think you can get away with two pitches. But I, he needs this pitch. He's going to have to work on getting it in on the hands a little bit more than he has so far. From the three one four, does BK like any of these young Cardinals players? I, I do. If they're I really, left-handed, no. Yeah, I was going to say, no, not really. I like Lars Newbar. I like Alec Burleson. I like Jordan Walker. I like Nolan Gorman. Um, all of these players are, are guys that I really like. I liked what we saw earlier in the season from uh, the third catcher that they're probably going to bring up sooner rather than later in Yvonne Herrera. Herrera. Oh, Tres Herrera. So, I do like a lot of the Cardinals young players. I don't love most of the Cardinals young pitchers. And I think that's because they don't love a lot of their young pitchers. I liked what we saw from Matthew Libertor the last couple of times out. We'll see what he ends up looking like down the stretch. But I think sometimes, a lot of the time, we ask these players to be more than they are. We ask Jordan Walker to already be a finished product when he's not yet. He's going to be that three, four, five years down the road. Right now, he's a slightly above league average hitter and a guy that really needs a lot of work defensively. Lars Newbar two years ago was a player that came up and had some serious struggles at the big league level. Now he's trying to adjust to big league pitching earlier this season. High on base percentage again, but no power whatsoever. Now you're starting to see the power coming through. I think Alec Burleson took a little while to adjust to big league level pitching. And now we're starting to see, okay, he's a guy that doesn't strike out ever. And he hits the ball pretty hard whenever he puts the ball into play. That's a profile that I can work with. So I just like trying to keep our expectations a little bit lower so that way, whenever they do reach what I what I personally think are realistic expectations, that's considered to be a success. A success at this point in his career for Zach Thompson would be becoming a really nice bullpen arm for the Cardinals. If he becomes more than that, dude, that is amazing for them. And they unlocked more than what any of us should have realistically expected. But right now, my expectation for him is just to be a really nice bullpen arm next year. Another guy that fits into that criteria, guys, is JoJo Romero. Can we talk a little bit about him? Because I, you guys know, one of the things that I like to do with bullpen arms, judge by feel, not by ERA. Because if you look at ERA, it's such a small sample size for all of them that it can get completely blown out of whack by one really bad appearance any given time. Jojo Romero, by whatever metric you're looking at, strikeouts, ERA, just feel of when he enters the game. I feel pretty darn good right now when he's entering baseball games. I feel like he's going to get out of jams for you when you need him to. I feel like when he comes in in a clean inning, he's going to find a way to get out of that thing unscathed. I like JoJo Romero a lot. I think that I'm starting to convince myself he can be a part of your sixth or seventh inning plans for 2024. And a guy that I have the opposite effect of right now, I know what the numbers say. It, he's apparently been pretty good lately. I don't feel good at all when Giovanni Gallegos comes into the game right now. And he would be a guy that 
because the numbers are still there, I would try to unload him going into this offseason. Color me suppressed or surprised that BK just went with gut feel over what the actual numbers are telling him to say. I know. Because Giovanni Gallegos has been. I mean, you don't like a one four three whip since, or FIP since uh, July? I, I know. The but numbers no, totally like- disagree with me. But when, you, when you're watching the game and you feel what that game situation is, I never feel good when Giovanni Gallegos is on the mound right now. now never. One thing I would have to look into because I, it's not on – um, at least I don't think so. I, he he has I don't the thing with Gio is I wonder if he's allowed a lot of inherited runners to score because that's what it does feel like is he's coming in in these situations and sure it's not impacting his ERA but ask Michael is how it felt yesterday <laughs> when those runs came across and were on his box score that's so that's where he got the tight butt cheeks I, I think you're right on Gio look I, the numbers say he's been really good but it does feel like things have been off for him not just in like the last couple of outings but kind of for a big chunk of the season ever since the beginning of the year it's just kind of felt off with him JoJo like. I do have good feelings around when he comes into games, but I am just kind of waiting for the other shoe to fall. Like to me, he feels like the typical reliever where it is. Wow. That was awesome for two months. And then two months later, it's like, Holy bleep. We got to get rid of this guy. And I don't know why I have that feeling, but I, I, I just have that feel of Jojo Romero toward like September. We could be talking the other side of our mouth going, Oh my gosh, Jojo's not a guy they can plan on in the bullpen. He's a guy they're going to have to look to upgrade from. Like, I just feel that way with Jojo. Well, as long as you're not going into this saying he's seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. And the problem for this Cardinals I think team. You can fit him into the seventh inning mix. Like, uh, is he significantly worse than Chris Stratton was? Because he was in the seventh inning mix no, for, for much I, I of just, the season. If, now I'm fine with it, but if I'm talking about next year and contending, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with it because of what T-Bone said. To me, it's the same well, now feel. Now closer. <laughs> well, I understand that, but right now the feel of him is like you're getting great stuff from him in July, August, and September when the season doesn't matter. So that makes me a little concerned. The issue that the Cardinals have right now is Ryan Helsley is an unknown. Giovanni Gallegos, all of us agree, the tight butt cheek effect happens when he steps on that mound. You have nobody that you feel comfortable in other than JoJo Romero, and I'm still skeptical on that for the entirety of next season. And that's where I think the Tyler O'Neill trade comes in. This offseason, whenever you trade O'Neill, I would be targeting a big league reliever. I would be targeting a guy like what uh, Seawald, who just got traded this past trade deadline from the uh, Mariners, somebody like that that's got one year of club control. Are you selling low on Tyler O'Neill? Yeah, you are. Uh, you would be in that scenario. But I'm getting a guy that I can lock into that eighth or ninth inning role, and I immediately feel comfortable with whoever that guy is, a proven major league reliever. And that team's basically doing a a bet trade. We're we're going to trade a proven major league reliever for a everyday position player for us, hopefully, would be what the other team is thinking. It's kind of similar to what the Cardinals thinking would have been last offseason if they ended up trading Ryan Helsley to the Toronto Blue Jays in the deal that was reported for Danny Jansen, potentially. By the way, Danny Jansen's having a really good offensive season this year as well. Oh, good. Um, So, throwing that out there. But is it better than Wilson? Well, if they're tied, I'm sure the defense will put them Um, on the top. So, that's what what you could see going into this offseason. They definitely need to add strength to the back end of the bullpen. But JoJo Romero, to me, I, I think should fit into that sixth or seventh inning mix by the way i found those numbers that you were looking for t-bone on the inherited runners 44 percent since uh so he has come in with 25 inherited runners which is the same number as he had in 2021 in 2021 of those 25 inherited runners three went on to score this year of the 25 inherited (sighs) runners i know it's more than that because it's been i think five since july 10 
yeah. have come in mm. to score. It's not how you make friends in the clubhouse right there. That's <laughs> not how you... Uh, That's why I get the tight butt yeah. when he comes into the game. And I kind of I kind of thought that was it because, like, though his numbers are good, it has felt a little off with Geo. And last night was the perfect example. Like, I don't know, I don't know how many of those runs counted against him. But when you come on, only one counted against him. And he gave up, what, three in that inning? So... I, I could see where that came into the effect. Uh, we need we need an ERA, a inherited runner ERA. By the way, this year for uh, for JoJo Romero, twenty three inherited runs, only eight have come around to score. Coming up next, we're diving into only the joke drawer here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN. Let's open it up, the junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Let's dive into the junk drawer. So yesterday, CNN International tweeted out a story. Suddenly... You have uh, somebody coming over. You've got guests that are arriving in 15 minutes. Got a question for you. What do you make? Guests are coming over for dinner. They gave you 15 minutes heads up. What are you making? Alex, I know you're a big chef. Does it say how you said 15 guests? You've got 15 minutes. Let's say you've got like four guests coming over. You, your wife, kids, you got four guests coming over. You got 15 Um, minutes to make it for them. These are important guests that are coming over. Oh, jeez. You've oh, got great. Craig Berube and oh, his family. Bleep. They're coming over. Oh. Craig Berube, Doug Armstrong, and their significant others. Um, pork steaks or hamburgers? Because really? you can't go wrong with either of those. Okay. I always have a... Uh, Do you a, have time? I think so. 15 can minutes I can lie and say it's on the grill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then oh, just that's a good call. pray to God that Craig Berube and, and, and Doug Armstrong... You hand them a beer as they walk through the door. Hey, let's go outside. I, I got, got the chips. Grill going. You put chips in a, be ready in in a bowl and tell them snack on this. The stuff's ready. I always have a bulk of burgers and pork steaks frozen in my deep freeze. So that's what I would go with. I think that's actually a really good call. T-Bone's 100% going Chef Boyardee. Oh, I was oh, thinking I hot was dogs. I was thinking hot dogs, too. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to say hot dogs because I knew that was going to be his. Plus, I don't know how you could look. When you said important guests, I don't know how you could look Craig Berube in the eye and say, hey, I got hot dogs on the grill for us. Oh, I think it's easy. He's I think say Chief I, would be excited. He's going to say I'm not a child. No, I think Chief would be like Tanner nice. would have zero shame. Zero yeah. shame whatsoever. What if it was a date Chef that was Boyardee. coming over for you? <laughs> Because I'm, I don't know. I think this was a commercial. He'd say, "I got Chef Boyardee on the stove for you." That was not good. Right. Don't fist bump. No, that. I will. I will. That was all right. It was, it was on the spot. It was quick. It was witty. I'll, I'll give him credit. I, I would just order in. That's what I'm thinking too. Because I don't think I like would, I would take it out of whatever it is the containers that they have. Throw that out in the dumpster right away. Would you get that in 15 minutes though? Yeah, I could go down to um, Salt Smokes right down the street from us. Yeah. Little Caesars is ready when that's, I pull in. I, I guess that's a different. Their, yeah. their Cracker Mac, psh, throw that in my own bowls. I prepared this. Yeah. yeah. It was waiting Smart. for you in the refrigerator. Great. I think it's going to be tough yeah. to sell her that. Well, well you were able to make a, I also bowl, like, a smoked brisket. Is it going to be minutes? ready in 15 minutes when you call and order it? That's the problem. Like, Absolutely. you can get Salt there fast enough. You get there in 15 minutes. Because I was thinking I could do Pasta House, but if I'm ordering for four people and I'm getting a pizza or some type of pasta, that's going to take a little bit. I don't know what, like, if, if a date was there, I think I would have to order something because I don't know if I could 
cook something in 15 minutes that would really impress her. Unless she really thinks my grilling skills on my hot dogs is really good. First of all, shame on the individuals who are saying we're coming over in 15 minutes. Yeah, Give no me a little kidding. more damn heads up. So for what it's worth, the reason why they asked this question is they had an interview with Bobby Flay. And they said, what do you cook for your friends if they drop over or drop by last minute? He said, I'm always ready. I stock my pantry very, very well because you just never know when somebody's going to pop in at the last minute. And when you come to my house, I'm feeding you no matter what. He goes on to say, I'm probably making a pasta dish. Let me tell you that I have absolutely nothing except a couple of ingredients in, in uh, or if you have only a couple ingredients oh, yeah. in your pantry. You can cook some pasta. You save the pasta water. You have the pasta water with a little bit of butter, some Parmesan cheese, a little bit of fresh garlic, some black pepper. Boom. You got it. Yeah, that's that's smart. I've always got pasta noodles and pasta sauce in my pantry. So like you throw that in. That's actually really smart. This may so, shock you, but I don't have that in my pantry. You have hamburger helper. Yeah. Chef Boyardee with a little side of Chef Boyardee. Yeah, hamburger helper can take a little longer than 15 minutes. Oh, good lord. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Never, one. ever, ever, whatever it is that you do, do not go to Tanner Hendrickson's house for a, di- for a dinner. Unless you give me a heads up. No. You give me 15 minutes, when we, when we you might as well the, uh, just meet me at the restaurant. When we do the T-Bone dating show, we better make sure that your date knows how to cook rather oh, than we're you. for sure getting him a meal out somewhere yeah because well, no i just mean the future of your relationship we'll get, you better make sure she knows how to cook because that, that's a really good point. otherwise cooking, dinner, cooking and laundry otherwise dinner spaghettios and hot dogs and this isn't us doing a gender role thing this is tanner oh yeah no, this is i tanner. am the one in my house that does the cooking and the laundry same t-bone should not and will not in his future t-bone, do just you separate of, colors when you do laundry no chance no, throw it Zero in there man Jesus. um he's got <laughs> i just did laundry he's got yesterday. a hoodie some jeans he's and so, a white t-shirt and he's his throwing delicates for his significant other with his <laughs> white and red shirts and jeans and she's like what the hell is this Look, she's got the bra a white bras in there with his blue jeans guaranteed <laughs> no his red shirts <laughs> also red's... with pink shirts what is this a brand new cardinal shirt that he throws in there it'll be fine like it's it's all okay brand and like, new shirt he got from because, the smoky mountains just because i've used one of those wooden planks before when I've cooked and caught it on fire doesn't mean I'm a bad oh, cook. Plank. Cedar plank is what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, up next. He's putting a two-by-four on his grill. Can Paul Goldschmidt be a legacy player for the Cardinals if he didn't start his career here and doesn't win a World Series here? It's a question that T-Bone asked us earlier today that I found to be interesting. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So can Paul Goldschmidt be a legacy player in St. Louis? If he wasn't drafted here, didn't spend the majority of his career here, and then doesn't go on to win a World Series here. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, this was a question that earlier today Tanner asked us, and I found it to be interesting. Alex, I think the answer is actually no. I I think that he can be a player that we remember very fondly, and he goes on to have uh, what is obviously an incredibly successful portion of his career here in St. Louis. He'll be a Hall of Fame player, I do believe. I think that he locked that in last year by winning the MVP in a Cardinals uniform. But I do believe that the status you have to reach in this specific organization is so extraordinarily high that it needs to be kind of one of two things. Either you need to have a Hall of Fame career from start to finish here, or you need to win a World Series here. 
there are guys that are remembered more fondly from the 11 06 teams in particular than are remembered from like the last 10 years, for example, even though some of those guys in the last 10 years have had vastly more productive careers in St. Louis than like a David Freeze, for example. But October is what matter. This fan base cares about October in a way that everybody does, but it means a little bit more here because of the history. So I don't know that he can be seen on the Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, even Adam Wainwright level of this era of Cardinals baseball if Goldie does not end up winning a World Series while he's in a Cardinals uniform. I don't think anybody can get to that level as those three you just mentioned because two of those three were drafted and basically played nearly their entire career with St. Louis. They won the championships like you mentioned, and even in Wayno's case, he essentially was a Cardinal from start to finish. I, I think you can, but I think there's got to be, and it doesn't even have to be a World Series win, but you got to have some type of playoff prowess if you're going to be considered a legacy player. The only player that I can think of that wasn't in, or that falls into this criteria that we're talking about with Paul Goldschmidt would be Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire had the home run legacy here in St. Yeah, Louis, and it's hard I mean, to define that. But other than that, you're talking about a guy that struggled his final year here, was only here for, what was it, four years, didn't have really any playoff prowess with that Cardinals team. Frankly, they weren't that good when McGuire was here, but he's still considered a legacy, but that was that home run. So, yeah, I mean, people nationally, internationally recognize what took place in the summer of 98. There have been countless documents. It changed the sport. It, it might have saved the sport coming out of um, the strike and everything. So I, if that's the comparison for... Paul Goldschmidt winning the MVP. I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's too high of a bar. I think you could be a legacy player in St. Louis. I don't think outside is going to look at you that way, but St. Louis Cardinals fans, if you have that MVP behind your name, like Paul Goldschmidt does, I think you're going to go down as one of the best to be with the Cardinals, no matter what. I do believe, though, that if you're going to get to that next echelon of players in Cardinals history, you got to have some type of playoff prowess. And frankly, Goldie doesn't have that for your team. He hasn't been a part of any series wins, if I'm not mistaken, right? Because, oh, no, he was here for 2019. So you have one playoff series win under your belt with St. Louis. So if all you have to say is an MVP, I don't think that's going to benefit you. I, I I think he's a legacy player, but I think he's, like, near the bottom in terms of, like, what the echelon is of a legacy player. To take that, like, next step... It would have to be to win a World Series. But I think any time that you win an MVP, you become a legacy player here in St. Louis. I mean, his name is forever going to be etched alongside names of Stan Musial, Albert Pujols, Willie McGee, Keith Hernandez, Bob Gibson, and the list goes on of guys that have won an MVP. That means something here in St. Louis. So I, I though I think championships are what kind of puts you into like tier one of a legacy player, I think there is a second tier. And I think Paul Goldschmidt is in it. I, I think he is a legacy player for the Cardinals. Without the MVP, I think it's a different conversation. But the fact that he had such a great year, was chasing a triple crown there for a while, yeah. and like I said, can etch his name with all those Cardinals greats, I think he's a legacy player here in St. Louis. So we're getting some comparisons for him on the text line, 314-399-9646. Uh, from the 314 guys I think the best player comparison for Goldie in terms of his legacy in St. Louis would be Matt Holiday both good players before they got here Goldie's missing that playoff experience though that Holiday got here and the World Series championship that Holiday won while he was here like he went to one and won another as one of the key cornerstone pieces on those rosters 
I, I think that's what has to happen. Maybe you don't have to win it. Maybe it's just getting to one. Because somebody on the text line also uh, mentioned Jack Clark as another. Didn't win one while he was here in St. Louis, but went to some. Uh, maybe. Maybe you could argue that. And that gets to your point, Alex, of just having those moments, being a key contributor of winning a National League pennant. I, I could see that. Of next year, Goldie ends up getting back to maybe not quite what he was last year, but something approaching that and is a driving force for the Cardinals to get to the World Series. If you do that, that could totally change this discussion. But barring that, I I don't know, man. Here in St. Louis, I think the bar is so incredibly high. Like in Kansas City, for example, my hometown, right? If Paul Goldschmidt changed nothing, had zero playoff success the rest of the way, he would go down as one of the best players for the Royals in the last 40 years would probably have his Jersey retired. It would be put up on the jumbotron. Like he could come back to Kansas city at any point in time and be recognized as the singular, most important person in that stadium, not named like George Brett and Frank white. So that is what it is in other towns here in St. Louis, man, though, the history is just so different. I, I don't know that he would be able to reach that level here. I think right now, if, barring, barring a pennant, I think if his career were to end, or at least his career in St. Louis were to end with the best thing that happened to him as the MVP. I think he's in the same category, at least for me, as like a Carlos Beltran, to where you're kind of like, oh yeah, he played for the Cardinals. Remember how dominant he was? I think if you get that playoff run with Paul Goldschmidt in St. Louis, that's where you get to that next tier. Frankly, right now, I would say by the end of their careers, Nolan Arenado is going to be remembered more in St. Louis than Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, I don't. I, I think Goldie will be remembered more because Goldie's won an MVP. Arenado hasn't won an MVP. Arenado See, actually, hasn't won a bigger award I, yeah, than but Goldie. Arenado will be here longer by the end of that career, which means you hope potentially more of a playoff run. And Goldie's got one more year for it if they don't re-sign him. It's really interesting. I actually kind of agree with Alex here, and I don't know why I feel that way. I don't know if that's me, like, with my own sensibilities, kind of projecting it onto Arenado. Um, I don't know if it's a time thing. I, I do think there's something, maybe it's just stylistically, I, I the way it, that he plays, the history of being a third baseman here in St. Louis. I, I don't know I what it is. I think it's the way he goes about it. I, I think, though Arenado's not the out fire, there and, the like, intensity. spoken, but he's, he, he's fiery, he's intense. I mean, you saw it in the, if you want to call it a brawl last year against the New York Mets, like, You've seen the fire in Nolan Arenado. Yeah, people love the highlight real defense. Is, yeah, but Paul Gold, like, I know he doesn't get a lot of first highlights because he's get, at like, first third base. base. Guys, I, he is, like, the best first baseman since Albert uh, to pick it over there. I'm not denying he's that. He's incredible I'm defensively. I'm just saying, what do you see more on MLB Network and ESPN? It's I the third base player. People talk about Nolan Arenado being arguably the best defensive third baseman, yeah. maybe in the history of the game. People don't really have those conversations about first baseman very often. Well, they should. I'm upset about that. And, and like you could argue the Cardinals have had two of the best defensive first baseman, at least in the last 40 years when it comes to what we saw with Keith Hernandez here and then certainly what we're watching right now with Paul Goldschmidt. It's just not the same sexy position defensively. Somebody on the text line said that the, the comparison for them with Paul Goldschmidt in terms of not winning a World Series would be Ted Simmons, potentially. Simmons was drafted by the Cardinals. He was, and then he also spent the first, like, 13 years of his career here in St. Louis. So, it's just really hard. There there isn't really a great comparison for Goldie, because, let's be honest, guys, this is almost a, not quite unprecedented, but it's a rare feat in the last 40 years, specifically of this organization, of going this long without winning a World Series or getting to a World Series. It doesn't happen very often. Most of the players that went down as all-time legacy guys went to or won a World Series. 
For Goldie to come in and be a Hall of Famer that potentially does not do that here in St. Louis, that is the rarity of this example. That is why it is so odd that we're going into the latter stages of his career and we're wondering, do you resign him? Does he get that same legacy treatment? Is he going to get the contracts that Wayno and Yachty got while they were here in St. Louis? Or is this going to be a little different this time around? And see, I... I would almost view Goldie in like a different tier than Ted Simmons because I mean he, winning an MVP means something. That means you're the best player in your league. And I just looked this up and look, Simmons has more games played by a, a wide margin, almost double. But offensively, I mean Goldie has been better than Ted Simmons was when he was here. And look, I get a different position. By OPS plus, I'm not sure that's true. Uh, 140 OPS plus for Goldie. Ted Simmons 127 OPS plus. So he's been 13 percent better above league average compared to like that to still what think, he is now. I still think the but drafting by I, the Cardinals think, is more meaningful. I think it is, but I I think without an MVP and without a title, I, I'm not sure how much it truly holds. I I think with Goldschmidt. I, I think the MVP, mean, it means a lot to me, and I think it means a lot to Cardinals fans because he's one of, I think it's 17 Cardinals in the organization's but history. But I think that's where the playoff prowess comes into play here. Like, you want an MVP, but you didn't do anything else with it. And it's not just on him. I'm not blaming Goldschmidt, but that's where I feel like you're going to look at it. If his career ends in St. Louis next year, you're going to look at it as, oh, yeah, he played for us. But like Joe Torrey, and I went around in the 70s, but I think the 70s were bad. Um, <laughs> Joe Torrey won an MVP with the Cardinals in the 70s, and he didn't win a World Series with them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the 70s were like the worst era of Cardinals yeah. baseball. Wasn't but, he a manager, too, though? Yeah, but I'm like I'm looking at him as a player. No, I know. He won an MVP. Like, that to me, also that, plays into the legacy of Joe Torrey. To me, Torrey. I would think that that would matter. But if you're looking at him as a player in terms of his legacy. Like, I, I don't know. I guess I maybe I overvalue the most valuable player. I don't think you do. I think it's what's, I mean, if he didn't win an MVP, there would be a much bigger debate on whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, I don't even think we'd be talking about it if he didn't win the MVP. The MVP is like the gold star that puts you put it sit next to your name of, hey, this guy's in. Like first ballot, I in my opinion at least, he should be a Hall of Famer. There should be almost zero doubt about it. Um, I, I think his legacy is going to be a very interesting discussion here in St. Louis because... Like who do Cardinals fan, who will Cardinals fans remember more? And this is unique because this player is a different kind of status than really any other player in the history of the franchise. But will fans remember David Free's career here in St. Louis or Paul Goldschmidt's career here in St. Louis more fondly? I think the answer is David Freeze. I agree. And that's not a shot against anything that Paul Goldschmidt has accomplished. He is a objectively better baseball player in his time in St. Louis than David Freeze was. But Freeze had the October moments. Yep. And when you look back at your fandom of a team, whether it's football thinking about January or hockey thinking about those Stanley Cup playoffs, like think about Pat Maroon and what he means in St. Louis compared to basically any other player that you can remember. That's the that's kind of what it is here in St. Louis when it comes to the October moments for baseball. And right now, Goldie just doesn't have those on his resume. And until that changes, I do think it complicates where he factors into the discussion of all-time great remembered Cardinals. If he has a, looking at next year, and now I'm blaming Mo. Mo, come on, fix this, man. My guy Goldie needs more love. Um, if he hits a walk-off home run in, I don't know, the DS, game four, they win it, they go on to win game five against, I don't know who they're playing, but then they lose in the NLCS. How's that change anything for Goldie? I mean, that's a big October moment. I don't know if it does, man. I think you need a playoff maybe, run. Like, maybe, but when you think back to, like, Matt Adams' big playoff moments, they led to something, you know? And if if it doesn't lead to anything in the NLCS, like, for example, Yadier Molina 
the the big hit that he had against, against the, the Braves, right? No, it was the Mets. The home run. Oh, are you talking the, more the recently? Walk-off. Oh, I thought you were talking about back in two thousand four. That was twenty nineteen, I believe. Yeah, yeah. That led to the national series that none of us want to remember. And so, like, do people really look back fondly on that, or do they do what Alex just did the and they Mets think series. back to the one that actually meant something to the organization, where if, it led to something meaningful? Like that. I think that's kind of what ends up. happening. You said the DS, right? Yeah. I think if you say the CS and that sends them to a World Series, totally, now we're having a different. Well, that's conversation. why I brought it up because it is a different conversation. Because I agree. I don't think the but DS I, matters as much. I. I for a team that has this expectation. I think the Yachty one's different because like, it's a sack fly. It's not a big, sexy. It's not a home run. But I, I but think they a, won. I know, but it, it's just not like a big, sexy walk-off win. Like a yeah, sack one fly to win One sent them to the it. CS, one sent them to the World Series. Yeah, but like that, like if they lose at CS in seven games, I think we remember that a little bit differently. I think Maybe. we remember that team differently. That team is now viewed as like a disappointment, even though like they overachieved and got to the NLCS. Like. I think a big moment for Goldie and like now that you have kind of this history that they haven't won a series since 19 and it's been on the record for the last handful of years of man, look how bad this team has been in October. And if Goldie were to hit a walk off or home run that drives them into an NLCS, even if they don't win it. And and I mean, they get swept, I think different conversation again, but I, I think that that would have some sort of allure to Paul Goldschmidt because it'd be, Hey, he finally got there and there was his big moment. And I think he'd still be here for another two, three years, potentially. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. The way to make none of this last conversation matter this offseason, Mo? Get the pitching that's necessary. (laughs) Go win a World Series next year or get to one next year. And then we no longer have to have these conversations. And Paul Goldschmidt at that point will be considered by, I think, everybody a legitimate legacy player in the history of this franchise. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line for bet it or forget it. You guys give us a scenario. We're telling you if we are betting it or forgetting it. Guys, yesterday, John Mosellock told the assembled media that the Cardinals will add three, count them, one, two, three starters this offseason. Bet it or forget it, all three of those will come via the free agency market. I'm going to forget this one. I think two of the three become free agency and they trade for one. I, I just, Clay said it earlier today. And he's kind of in the same boat that I am of some. Everybody is not returning to this team that were here last year. And I think that includes some guys that are cost controlled players. Something is going to get moved in the offseason. I just don't know what it is. And it's going to be for one of the pitchers in your rotation. So I'm going to forget it. I think I'm going to forget it, too, because I think they're going to trade for somebody. I can't see them being ultra aggressive and signing three starters. I mean, hell, I'm skeptical of them signing two. So. I think they're trading for somebody of the Clark Schmidt-esque. Trade Carlson Don't look for at his last game. Say, how'd he do yesterday? No Don't Bryce Miller, game. that's My for Logan sure. Gilbert didn't do well either yesterday, so no? I think he gave up like five or six rounds. Don't playing? worry, that dream's dead anyway. <laughs> better <buddy>. team. <laughs> what? What's, what's dead? I think I'm going to bet it. I don't think they're going to end up meeting the price for... I, I think it's more likely they match the price in free agency than it is that they match the price via trade. The one thing that I am like squeamish about whenever I say I'm betting that they're going to get all three of these guys via free agency, they could totally add like a Jose Quintana. 
They could go to the Mets and be like, hey, we'll we'll give you a better prospect than you would expect to get for Quintana because you get to eat $5 million on that contract. I could see the Cardinals doing that this offseason. And in fact, I would be more than happy if they decided to do exactly that. I mean, I was kind of vouching for it. As long uh, as you go after tier two and tier three. Leading up to the deadline. Trade for that. That's fine. And that could be the type of thing that they do in order to reach up in free agency to a higher tier level. Because let's say the Mets are willing to eat $5 million on Quintana's uh, deal. So you're paying him next year $8 million to be your number five starter in your rotation. Well, now instead of going out and spending $15 million for that number five starter, you've saved $7 million bucks there. Maybe that allows you to go get an Aaron Nola or a Julio Urias or a Blake Snell instead of having to sign somebody in the Giolito Sunny Gray category. So by I can way, see them doing that. Logan Gilbert got lit up by the Royals. So not a better team. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, the Royals have the third best batting average in baseball this month. Thank you very much. Well, okay, so a better team right now. Logan Gilbert got lit up. All right. A lot of that batting average came against Adam Wainwright, well, so that is sense. a bit misleading. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> makes sense. Just kick him in while he's down. Let's stick with the Paul Goldschmidt conversation. Guys, bet it or forget it. Goldie retires, goes into the Hall of Fame with a Cardinals cap. I'm actually going to bet it. I do think that he's going to get an extension here. If he wasn't getting an extension, I think he would have been traded. I think that was a move that you decided at the deadline was whether or not you're going to have Goldschmidt here long. Does he get the cap if he doesn't get extended or does he take the Cardinals cap if he doesn't get extended? I think it depends on what happens next year. I think if, if they have success as a team next year, then I think he'll remember himself always for the team success that he had while he was here in St. Louis. If not, I, I don't know. I, I genuinely, I, I, and that's not a, if they I, don't, I don't, I don't think he does. I See, I think he would because, I mean, we just talked about it. What is the one thing that probably put him in the Hall of Fame? It was his MVP year. MVP year but he here had in two runner-ups with Arizona and then was in the top three another year. He remembers his time there fondly. I mean, it's not as if he hated the Arizona Diamondbacks. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how he would view that, honestly. Here's it's a fun fact question. about Paul Goldschmidt that I didn't know. He was born in Wilmington, Delaware. Of course. Didn't know that. Is he the best athlete Del- that's, is he the best athlete to come from Delaware? Do you know what the Delaware uh, team name is? No. Alex? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Fighting Blue Hens. Oh. What uh What team are we talking about again? Delaware. The university? Delaware. I'm football. trying to find out if he's the best oh. athlete to come from Delaware. I mean, right now I'm looking through it. Frank Flacco, Sh- right? Who? Didn't Flacco? Jack Flacco go to I mean, Goldie's definitely Goldie's got to be better than Flacco, right? One of them won a title. Flacco's not from Delaware, though. <laughs> Frank, Shake, Frank Shakespeare uh, was from Delaware. He didn't he deserve related the title. To Bill? I guess technically. If the power didn't go out. He didn't win that title. Technically, Flacco is originally from New Jersey. Yeah. And then went to school at oh. the University of Delaware. I don't even remember what your better forget a question was. I haven't answered with yet. the Hall of Fame. You are you did oh, answer it. You it. said yeah. T-Bone? Yeah, I would bet that. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer for sure. Bet it or forget it. You mentioned signing three pitchers. The Cardinals will be the team that throws out the most money this year outside of the team that signed Shohei Otani. Mm, that's interesting. So they spend more. I, I think on a per-player basis, I'm going to use a caveat here, and I apologize, this is a very BK answer. On a per-player basis, the Cardinals Cherry will pack. have the highest expenditure this offseason. So, like, the Cardinals probably will sign four players this offseason. Three of them will be starters, and I think they end up getting a reliever from the market as well. And the average 
on an AAV basis for those four players will be higher than anybody else spends. I could totally see that. So I'll, I'll bet it because I'm optimistic right now. <laughs> Sorry, somebody said apparently you guys didn't watch the broadcast last night because the A's number two hitter is also from Delaware. Interesting. <laughs> Damn it, I missed that. I'm actually going to... Wait, who the hell hit second for them last night? <laughs> Dude. I, I off. That was a fun name. I was going to do a game with you guys today. Excited A's against it. or made up person? How many A's can we name? Let's go around the room and oh, the first God, person... I would have failed that. I, I would have got two. I would have gotten their pitcher from last night, Sears. Fair. Yeah, Sears and I, I, Ruiz. I, I would have gotten Ruiz. two guys from their lineup. Prior to yesterday, Goloff. I was familiar with two players from their lineup. By the way, Rocker play last night? Yes. Rooker. Rooker? He did play? Yes. Can't even pronounce oh. the name with this one. I actually, though, I'm going to bet this one because I think... I, I don't know how many teams are going to spend more than... $50 million total and I, that's what the Cardinals are going to have to do if they think they're signing this many pitchers so uh, other than show money which was the caveat you threw out there yeah. I'm not sure teams are going to get close to that see I'm going to forget this because I think there's going to be a big market team that gets desperate and does something and the team I would circle is hello New York because uh, I can one? see the Yankees <laughs> doing it I, say Yankees I, think Ca- I think Cashman's on the hot seat and I think he knows it and I think he's going to get aggressive and I think the Mets are going to be more aggressive than we than we kind of are anticipating. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Better to Forget It from the 636. Better to Forget It, T-Bone will join forces with Jackson and they will start a singles-only podcast on the 101 ESPN Podcast Network. What would the singles podcast be about? Single life? Really? Tender. Chef Boy RT. They would record on Tuesdays, and it would be sponsored oh. by Tinder. By Tinder the way, Tuesday singles only. If somebody podcast. wants to find a way to put That's Tanner's face on the Chef Boyardee logo and have it Chef Boyardee dash T, send it to me, please. Hey, I'm textures gonna, came through on our mode yes, snorkeling gear. Um, Hold you guys to a high threshold. I'll this one because you know what? I'd listen to it. Not to get tips, but more just to. Oh, you get a good laugh. Oh wow, that's hurtful. <laughs> um, I'd bet it. I think it'd be a massive hit. You kidding me? Why aren't you doing so it? So you so you'll do a uh, podcast about single life, but you won't Jackson do a dating problem. show. Jackson not wanting to do it. Jackson would totally do this with you. Well, then I'd totally do it. Really? Sure. We'll pitch it. I mean, I don't know exactly what we're talking about either, but well, you're I mean, dating life. It'll be a oh, short podcast. Yeah, which means, yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be like a two-minute podcast then. Man, we're definitely going to need more content. Bet it or forget it, Jackson has a more lucrative dating life than Tanner. Oh, I mean, it's, it's it. a low bar to clear, sir. <laughs> and I say that as no shot to you. It was not intended in my answer, but it's true. Yes, it was. All right, we have a... Uh, oh, there we go. We have a move. Bro, I, do not... Did they claim somebody? I've already looked do not it up. look anything up. Waiver move. Waiver I move. want I've already to ask up. Tanner... To name the pitcher that the Cardinals called up today. Oh, that's a call up? The Cardinals called somebody up today. What the hell were we doing? To their major league roster. Tanner, do not look this up during the break. I just got a notification from the Instagram, so. Good. Podcast must be already taken off. I will give you 20 guesses. Oh, my God. And if you get it, I will give you $500. We'll do that next ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. have made a roster move it's a big one alongside alex and t-bone on bk i think it's i think it's worthy of a t-bone breaking news alert <clears throat> breaking news there we go now it's legit 
The Cardinals have made their call up from Memphis. I told T-Bone, I will give you 20. We're going to narrow that down. Actually, two guesses on who the Cardinals brought up. If he guesses it correctly, I'll give him $500. That's all uh, funny money. It's definitely Monopoly money. I'm very much not doing that. Baby Luca needs the college fund. However, Just buy me a coffee. <laughs> be a fun game anyways, we'll and I will happily, coffee. I'll buy you coffee on Friday. It'll be a nice thing that we do here for the show. T-Bone, you got two guesses. Who do you think that the Cardinals called up from the minor leagues? All right, so we said it was a guy that we didn't know existed. Correct. And I looked up Memphis Redbirds <laughs> roster so I can eliminate Ryan Lutus and uh, anybody on the 40-man or any prospect that I know. So I'm going to go off names I didn't know existed until I just looked at this. Is this a one Chris Roycroft that's been recalled? I didn't even... Uh, hold on, i got to find out who Didn't know the, that gentleman existed either, is Chris but no. Roycroft. No, he definitely Croft. felt like he belonged in this category. All right, my other guess, I'm down to two. It's either Grant Black or Jacob Man, Barnes. Hey, Chris Roycroft. Um, hold on, time out. Can I just tell you? It's none of them. <laughs> Man, Chris Roycroft is pitching better than the guy that they just selected the contract of. The Cardinals selected the contract of Casey Lawrence. He's going to wear the number 72 right. for He's the St. Louis Cardinals. He's not even listed on the Redbirds roster. Again, Chris Roycroft is pitching better than Casey Lawrence. Who I'm going to be this guy? That was my reaction <laughs> yep. as well. I had to Google it. I thought it was a waiver claim. Casey Lawrence has spent a cup of coffee in the major leagues. He is 35 years old, about to turn 36. He has spent the last couple of years with Toronto. In his major league career, he has appeared in 44 games and has a 6.8 ERA. Again, he is 36 years old. So here's what's frustrating to me. The Cardinals have an opportunity right now to be able to find out what some of their young pitchers are capable of. And in order to do so, they have to give those guys opportunities at the big league level. And what you're seeing right now is seemingly an unwillingness to do exactly that. Look at the middle infield. You've got Taylor Motter getting real starts for the team. That is, This is not a Taylor Motter's bad take by me this is a taylor motter is not a part of your future take by me <laughs> oh contraire he will be next year i would rather see a younger player getting those opportunities than taylor motter so when i look at what they're doing in the bullpen right now like is casey lawrence going to have a significant role for the cardinals no he's not but he's going to have a role for the cardinals he's going to be on the big league roster why not just call up one of your younger younger pitchers right now? Like you look at some of the other guys that they have on this big league roster. Listen, I like James Nail, super good guy. Honestly, like we've talked to him a couple of times down at the ballpark, a genuinely good human being. Does James Nail have a future in St. Louis? My answer would probably be no. Does Andrew Suarez, who's 31 years old, have any kind of a future here in St. Louis? My answer would be no. So why not call up some of the young pitchers that are going to have a future here in St. Louis? And see what they can do for you coming out of a bullpen role. I I don't totally understand what they're trying to accomplish with their bullpen. Right I, I don't either. And I think the, the frustrating part for me is how long you've preached about this 40-man roster and that there's no ability to move on from it. And a guy like Guillermo, Guillermo Zuniga has been on it all year. And now he's been pitching, although he's been pitching poorly in the minors. You say, no, we're not going to call this guy. We're going to call a guy up who's only been in our system since the middle of July and find out what he is. Where this guy has been on your 40-man roster from start to finish of the year. He's been injured the entire season. And we're saying, well, we're not going to give this guy an opportunity who's 24 years old for a guy who's probably past his prime and doesn't play into our future moving forward. Yeah, I 
So I think I can understand what they're trying to do. The problem that I'm having here is if you're signing three starting pitchers in the offseason, then I just don't understand part of this. Because I think my, the thinking here is, all right, we don't want to see – I mean, they probably should have called Zuniga up, even though his numbers have been bad in AAA. At least Find you see what, what he, he has. Um, at this level. So but, you can cross him off for 2024. And get him around – honestly, if you really do believe in Dusty Blake, and hey, there's reason to because he's fixed a couple of these other guys – Get his, let him get his hands. Because he's got the swing and miss stuff in Memphis. On Zuniga. And let's see what he's got. And if he sucks, hey, guess what? So does the guy that you just called up who's 36 years old. It's Sorry, Casey. The difference between the two is not all that big. And this guy, by the way, has been starting games for the Redbirds down well, in Springfield. What are they ever going to do now? <laughs> no. so, oh, the Zach Thompson route. The reason why I bring that up is because maybe you just want some length out of your bullpen. Well, you already have three long relievers. I don't know how much length you need out of your pin, but if that's what you're trying to do, if you're doing some piggyback stuff, well, then let's see what Michael McGreevy or Gordon Graceffo look like at this level. Like you've Or hell, Connor Thomas. Honestly, at some point, don't you want to find out what Connor Thomas is? And if the answer is yes to that or you... You're done with him. Too many lefties. Call Connor Thomas up in this capacity instead of a Casey Lawrence. It just there's there seems to me to be very little reason to make this move um, unless it is about the 40 man roster. And they're saying, hey, we don't want to call those guys up. We're not planning to call them up before the end of the season. And we're not going to do so until we're forced to do so. In that case, I would still say, okay, go with Zuniga, go with Connor Thomas, go with one of the young guys to find out what those guys can do at the big league level. There is still zero in my mind reason to call up a guy like Casey Lawrence. It just doesn't make sense. See, and I'm glad you brought up McGreevy and Graceffo because I think they want them to continue to pitch down in the minor leagues and they don't want them to come out of the bullpen, even though like that's been the typical route we've seen in the past from the Cardinals. Lance and McGreevy's like already the thrown 100 guy. innings this year. Yeah. He's got and, and he's the probably, baseline number that they look for. And because he's probably getting close to his innings limit or his career high. I don't know what his career high is. I don't have McGreevy's numbers up in front of me. But I can look that up for you while my, we're talking. My guess would be is that as he would get closer to the innings limit for him, you would think you'd still want to see him at the big league level, see what he's got, and just put him in a bullpen role. I think they don't want them to come up here and sit in the bullpen for a while, and that's why they're not calling up a – Graceffo, a McGreevy, because we've seen that those guys, like, look at Thompson. Thompson got lost in the bullpen for a while, but she didn't know Andrew Suarez was on this team. I found out this morning when BK told me. <laughs> so, like, I don't think they want that situation to occur for those guys. So I can understand not calling up one of those starters. To be fair, there are real legitimate roles to be had in this bullpen right now. They just shouldn't and aren't going to those guys that you mentioned. Yeah. Like, there's still innings to be had, though, if you want them to go somewhere Suarez else. has been in there for how many days? 11 days? And you've got guys that are not expected to go long into games. Like, last time out, Matthew Liberatore did something he's never done at any level. The expectation should be that next time out, he's probably going to go five innings. Guess what? Zach Thompson, probably going four or five innings. So there are innings to be had right now in your rotation because Steven Matz is out, because you sent out a bunch of guys at the trade deadline. you got a lot of young starters right now, which means you're going to need innings to be covered after them. If you are, because they're they're trying to win. We've seen that Ali respected that he's trying to win these baseball games and trying his Mo best might not be uh, well <laughs> Mo might be trying to get that top pick but i i think different roles for <laughs> different needs like Gallegos yeah. and romero might be broken by the end of the season because you're using them every single night now but i i think like for to what you're saying where there are innings to be had i, I think you could have if you want wanted to see mcgreevy and graceffo and put them in the bullpen you could do a classic kind of triple a game 
where it is you start Zach Thompson. He goes four innings. If you're losing, or even if you're not losing, you piggyback him and Graceffo goes three innings. Like It's easy to I've find ways to you. see these guys. All right, I've got one for you. Sim Roberse. He has to be added to the 40-man roster by December. It's a 40-man decision that they have to make because he will be Rule 5 eligible. The Cardinals are going to make him a part of the 40-man roster. They traded for him at the trade deadline. Now, he's gotten lit up so far down in the minors. In his two appearances, he's gone uh, seven and a third. He's given up 15 hits and seven earned runs. It hasn't gone well so far for Sam Roversay with the Memphis Redbirds. Call him up. Let's see what it looks like. That would have been the guy that I would have done. If you don't want to go that route, how about Drew Rom? Let's see what that looks like. If you're going with a long reliever, you want to see a guy that ends up going a little, little bit more distance for you, sure, go with him. Another guy that could be somebody that is interesting, uh, Klothenstein. Call him up. One of the guys that you added and acquired at the deadline, find out what they're capable of. And if they end up being terrible, fine. No harm, no foul. Guess what, guys? Casey Lawrence is going to be bad, too. Like he's 36 years old, has no future with this organization, and has been terrible every time he's been called up to the big leagues and has been bad down in the minor leagues as well. It, this stuff doesn't really matter a ton, but it's little decisions like this that mean that you have fewer opportunities to see the young guys that end up accumulating over time. And on the plus side, that has never resulted in anything positive or negative for the Cardinals in the past. Definitely didn't make trades because of that. Coming up next, the Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out of the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Cardinals back in action tonight as I smack my <laughs> microphone. Oh, that here was you? I thought that was him. Finish out the show today. Oh. Uh, Dakota Hudson is going to be on the mound for the cards. Alex, it's your boy, Dak. He's is back. back. Damn right. In his last two starts, man, he's looked pretty good. I'll give him the credit that he deserves. I just want to see more of that, more of the same. Stay in the zone, attack hitters, don't walk a bunch of dudes, and if you're able to do that, you can feel good about it as you continue to go along here. He can put himself in a position where he's either a depth starter next year for the Cardinals or he's playing his way into some other team's plans. That's what Dakota Hudson is pitching for right Yeah, now. well, maybe more office references after your good start. That'd be great, too. But we talked about Zach Thompson's new pitch Uh, At the beginning or in the middle of the show and and Dakota Hudson's using that sinker ball a lot more, at least in the last start, Uh, like you mentioned, hammering the zone. So, yeah, I think he puts himself in the exact same conversation with another start and got a nice opportunity to do so against an underperforming Oakland team. Yeah, this is one of those like even though he's competing and I've liked what I've seen from him, you can't have a hiccup against Oakland. Like if you want to remain in, you want to remain in a conversation as a guy that's going to get tendered and be competing for the fifth or sixth spot, however they approach it in the offseason. You can't have hiccups against Oakland because a hiccup against Oakland is the kind of start that can knock Hudson down a peg or two in the depth chart. 
Hopefully we could see Casey Lawrence tonight. Be good Ooh. to see him out of the ballpark. What number is he wearing? I want his 72. jersey. 72. Good old number 72. He was probably the 72nd prospect in the Cardinals' top 100. That would be way higher than what I would have him currently. He's 36 <laughs> years old. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm Brandon Kylie. After you turn 35, you no longer have prospect status. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.